The Tainted Glove presents Yumper and Svo at the Show podcast with Tom Yumper Garcia. Oh, what a big man you are. Hey, let me buy you a pack of gum. I'll show you how to chew it. And Justin Svo Svoboda. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Two guys from Chicago talking movies. Welcome, everyone, to the second episode of Yumper and Swo at the show, presented to you by the Tainic Love. I'm Tom Garcia, also known as Yumper, and I'm with my co-host, Justin Swo Svoboda. What's up, Swo? Yump, what's going on, man? How are you today? Nothing much, man. Nothing much. We got a big episode today. This is one that you and I have been talking about for um, a couple weeks now. We kind of have had it like percolating. And we're really excited to uh, to break this down. Definitely, definitely. Uh, well, if you're listening to this podcast, you know movies are our passion. So today we're going to go into the 80s, the 80s teen movies. But before that, we got to take care of some business. The first being that we asked you guys on Twitter at Yumper and Swole, what was your favorite movie posters from our last episode? And we got some good ones. Uh, we got a... Clockwork Orange by Cherizi of the 108. Pulp Fiction by Nothing But Granger, a.k.a. Chelsea. Cherizi wife, Valerie Hornsey, put in episode one, which I think is really cool. That episode one poster is fantastic. <laughs> I, um, I, sh- I shared this story on Twitter about that poster, but I was working at Sony Theaters in Streamwood in 99 when episode one came out. And I saw... I saw episode one in the theater like 13 times <laughs> and it's, it's probably still like, I know it gets the prequels get crap, but it's probably still one of my favorite star Wars movies. And I stole every version of that poster that existed like that. Cause that poster to me is iconic. Well, I, I think I told you this before, like uh, when it first came out, when star Wars was rebooted to have a, the prequels, um, the only like some of the few trailers were played during uh, Adam Sandler's The Water Boy, so they were in the previews, and Star Wars fans would actually pay for The Water Boy just to watch the preview, then walk out and not watch the movie. Why? Why wouldn't you stick around for The Water Boy? It's I don't know, man. It's, some Star Wars it's fans not are like, hardcore. It's not like you bought a ticket to the English Patient, right? <laughs> and like you're like, oh, I'm not going to stick around for the English Patient. It's The Water Boy. Some Star Wars fans are hardcore, man. I get it. I get it. And then speaking of Star Wars, we have Return of the Jedi by Cupid Fitzmagic, which I always love that movie. It's probably uh, behind Empire, probably my favorite Star Wars movie. And then the Beef beef Loaf with his deep cover, which I think is Sorry, pretty cool. We refer to him as Leaf Loaf now? <laughs> yes, Beef is on his uh, vegan diet now, the Leaf Loaf. Uh, that cover actually reminds me of a book cover. I don't know if you can see it has a tear in the uh, middle. Kind of always reminds me of like a, a um, Michael Crichton film, a book, or a uh, was the guy who wrote um, Along Came a Spider, like one of those like mystery books. When Beef uh, described this movie poster and this movie, um, it was his first introduction to uh, Snoop Dogg because Snoop Dogg's <laughs> Snoop Dogg's first track that he did with Dre was was Deep Cover mm-hmm. on the Deep Cover soundtrack, and then he went on to do the the I don't want to call them guest spots because. 
uh, nothing but a G thing or the chronic was, was kind of a collaborative thing, mm-hmm. but that was everybody's first real introduction to Snoop Dogg was the deep cover soundtrack. Yeah. And then after, I think uh, the chronic, he went, did release his self-titled album. Doggy, well, he did Doggy, Doggy, Style. I, Doggy Style came out in 94. I want to believe mm-hmm. I had a bootleg copy of that, <laughs> that I just listened to a million times over again. Very at a very low decibel level, so my uh, my old man didn't hear it. <laughs> yeah, I I remember when they came. Uh, my cousins, my older cousins, had it on tape, and my aunt had it on tape, which is kind of funny because uh, now that you think about, like, basically, uh, cassette tapes are kind of extinct. You know, CDs are becoming extinct. Everything's digital now. Um, yeah, but great album. And then all right, we're gonna close it out with the endless summer. The search for the perfect wave. Now, this actually was submitted by my wife, which I think is kind of funny because it totally fits her personality. She is like obsessed with uh, surfing. She surfs, so um, it totally fits her. And it's a pretty cool. Does she too. love? Does she love the movie Point Break? Not Point Break. She likes Blue Crush. Point Break is the best surfing movie ever. Sorry, <laughs> man. <laughs> she likes it. I mean, she likes canoe. Uh, Keanu. I call him Keanu. Keanu. <laughs> I call him canoe. It's just a joke that we have. But yeah, I love Keanu. Um, and I then, love that we uh, we have these inter- interactive questions where our, our listeners kind of share what they love about movies and their posters. We're going to keep doing that, uh, have those interactive questions and uh, stuff that you can submit to us. Um, just a uh, real quick plug, just make sure you're following at Yumper and Spo, and we will uh, make sure that we, we keep posting the interactive stuff to learn more about our audience. Yes, yes. Uh, it's at Yumper and Swole on Twitter and Yumper and Swole on Instagram. And then, of course, you can like and subscribe at YouTube at The Tainted Glove, where we post the video version of this. But we have some unfinished work, Mr. Tavoda, and it involves the fifth element. Sir, are you classified as human? Uh, negative. I am a meat popsicle. So what'd you think, man? So... Our last episode, we talked about favorite movies, and and you mentioned The Fifth Element, and I was completely honest. I had never seen it before. It was just a movie that kind of always escaped me. And uh, for some reason, I was supposed to go see it at the theater the weekend it came out, and I, I I got in trouble, I remember, pretty vividly for skipping my history class to come home and uh, use the bathroom. I was I was Paul Finch from American Pie. I lived right across the street from school and I would come home to use the bathroom. And sometimes I just wouldn't go back because, you know, you have your own, your own fridge with your own food. Uh, but the hard part was, I don't know why I just didn't go back to school. My dad was at home. He worked third shift. He was sleeping upstairs. So it's not like I could turn on the TV and watch a movie or hang out. I had to be super quiet so I didn't wake up my old man. But regardless, I got in trouble for skipping school and I couldn't go see this movie with my friends the weekend it came out. And it has always just eluded me. Like I couldn't, I never watched it. I started it many times. I never finished it. I made a promise to you this week to watch it. And I did. I bought it on iTunes and I sat down and I watched it. And it was kind of everything that I expected it to be. It was like a mid nineties sci-fi action movie. What I didn't realize was how dope the cast was. I was not expecting Luke Perry, and I think I texted you while I was watching it. I was like, holy crap, Luke Perry, uh, rest in peace. R.I.P. Um, Luke Perry. My favorite character on 90210 growing up. Dylan? <laughs> um, Dylan, yeah. 
I also was not expecting Chris Rock because once again, this movie has eluded me. Chris Tucker. And not only, not, I'm sorry, Chris Tucker, not Chris Rock. Chris Tucker. <laughs> yes. I'm not average movie fan. I knew it was Chris Tucker. I, I just misspoke. And then uh, uh, Debo was in it. Um, yes. Tiny he Lister. was the president. Yes. Dude. Um... And not, to, not to mention uh, Mila Jovovich and Bruce Willis. It was just kind of a fun, goofy, mid-90s action sci-fi movie. Um, the aliens were so bizarre, and it felt like a, like a lost in space type thing. It wasn't what I was expecting. But in a good way, like it was fun. I would watch it again. It was always, always just a movie that was on, and I never sat down and finished it. And I've finally seen it now, so I can kind of cross that off the list. Yeah, it's just one of those movies that I mean, it's not like a perfect movie. I just, I'm a really big person with visuals, and I think like the uh, illuminate uh, colors they have. Uh, you have Gary Oldman in there as Zerg, and then he, um, of course Bruce Willis, uh, Chris Tucker. You know, it's just, it's just like a fun movie. And that's why I, I use it to throw it on when I'm not feeling well, because it's just, it lets you zone out and just enjoy it. Also, uh, two quick things. Uh, the person finger that Bruce Willis talks to on the phone, the guy who owns the cab company, that's actually Vin Diesel. I found that out like a few years ago. He had a small role just doing his voice. Which really? Was, yeah. And a uh, funny story about Chris, uh, Chris Rock, since you mentioned him and confused him with Chris Tucker. At my previous career, I used to work for a detention center, the biggest one in the country, and they filmed Empire there, Empire, the show on Fox, and Chris Rock's character was supposed to be in jail, like him and the Terrence Howard's uh, character were in jail. Well, Chris Rock was walking through the uh, school area, and my um, one of my good friends there, who looks just like Kevin Hart, if you've seen Kevin Hart, my buddy looks exactly like him, like splitting image. He saw him and he's like, tell the kids, the kids are like, oh man, that's Chris, that's Chris. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah man, that's Chris Tucker. And Chris Rock heard him and looked at him and was like, what the fuck do you say? <laughs> but he, he's like, what? And he's like, and then Chris Rock became a dick and was like, this is not supposed to be jail. This ain't jail. And just started talking crap. But it was just funny that you called him Chris, T um, Chris Tucker, Chris Rock, because it just made me think of that. I uh, give my wife some grief sometimes because we went to go see the Avengers Endgame, and at the end of Endgame, like I'm, everyone's seen it now, so I can I can say what happened. But Captain America gives his shield to um, Falcon, mm -hmm. and my wife, in the middle of the movie theater, uh, looks at me and she's like, "Why did he just give his shield to Black Panther?" I'm like, "Kelly, not all black people look alike." <laughs> And yeah. I just did. I just did the same thing with Chris Tucker and Chris Rock. Well, so it, it wasn't meant. But um, my wife. No, is, I know. My right? wife is horrible at movies as well. Uh, I asked her if she knew who Jeff Goldblum was when we were watching Jurassic Park one time, and she's like, "The only movie I know Jeff Goldblum from besides Jurassic Park is that movie Bug." I was like, "What? <laughs> like the fly?" She's like, "Oh yeah, yeah, the fly." So I give her grief all the time. But I'm uh, I'm glad you you liked it, man. It's one of my um, it's one of my faves. Like chill movies i did i enjoyed it i enjoyed it i would watch it again like maybe i would pick up on some things that i've never seen before excuse me one second guys um but i i did enjoy it it was very visual like the other thing i like is the movie art i know we have a this looks like a fan's take on the movie art but the poster is pretty iconic as well yeah 
And if you're wondering what he's talking about, you can check us out on the video version at the Tainted Glove to watch the uh, video version with a nice little presentation of everything. All right, so let's get into it. So our next topic is we're going to go into the 80s teen movies. But in your opinion, so what makes a great teen movie? I think that the topic of the movie has to be relatable, right? It has to be something that someone that's, you know, 12, 13, 14 can relate to, you know, and not just th- those those ages, but, you know, all throughout your teens. Um, you know, every every teenage boy thinks about girls and, you know, vice versa, um, or relationships or, or dealing with your parents. And I think those topics make a great teen movie. I think the other thing that makes the movies that we consider great teen movies are it's weird. It's like capturing lightning in a bottle. Um, you gotta have the right cast, you gotta have the right topic, and it's all about just kind of capturing that moment. What about you? What do you think? totally agree i echo everything you said uh i think a good teen movie captures the essence of what it is being a teenager uh the struggles you go through the social interactions you go through also in this particular sense it captures what it is being a teen in the 80s what was pop what was popular at the time what's the pop culture of the time um what is uh social status at the time you know what is considered weird like as we evolve, things are different now than they were back then, obviously, but things are considered more normal now than they were. It's kind of like in the 1950s, how people thought rock music was, was strange. And now it's kind of the norm as we progress through time. So I think it captures everything, the essence of the time. It gives you a kind of like a look into the teenager's life or teens' lives. Uh, and it kind of makes them relate to struggles that can happen to the day that are still ongoing. Yeah, absolutely. I I completely agree with everything that you just said. And it's it's bizarre when I think about, like, you know, I'm 40. I think about, like, man, I I do not miss being a teenager at all, right? Like, it's a a weird time for kids. And the things that they're they're dealing with were so different in 1984 versus, you know, 2022 with just access to everything and, and, you know, technology and even like the way people parents, like I'm not a parent. I know you're, you're a parent, but like, I feel like parenting styles have like strategically shifted, like to adapt to the times. So like you watch, you know, you watch like the breakfast club or, you know, one of those elite teen movies and you talk about relationships with their parents and and it's, it's different, but it's still the same. And I think that's what makes a great, like teen story yeah definitely definitely uh like relationship with parents bullying um social status still is something that's believe it or not still existing till today like there's the kids who have are well off and then there's kids who have families that struggle so i mean that's still in there um so that's what we think actually makes a great teen movie uh what do you guys think give us a shout at yumper and swole on twitter and let us know using hashtag great teen movie question mark and with that me and swole came into three tiers that we're going to judge these movies by now there are a lot of movies we're going to go through so this is going to be a long episode so buckle up and get your popcorn for this one but we have three tiers 
of teen movies. We have a tier A, which means the movie really sums up pop culture, but it still holds up for the time and currently relates to teens and influenced the entire teen movie genre. We have a tier B where a great teen movie, but doesn't hold up today, really fits the time period. And then we have a tier C. Movie was okay or bad. And it really didn't make an impact. We also have a couple curveballs for you guys that we want to know what you think. Um, is this considered a teen movie? And we'll, we'll kind of get into that at the end. But we really want to know what you think. So let us know when we get to that point. Um, if you think this is a teen movie, why it's, you think it's a teen movie or why you think it's not a teen movie. Yes. And also, just a heads up, guys. This is our opinions. So this is not set in stone. Everybody's opinions are differently. But we do want to hear what you guys think and how we rank things and would you rank them differently. So let us know on Twitter and just sweet at us about it. And with that, let's get to our first movie. And our first movie is Fame, directed by Alan Parker in 1980, starring Irene Cara as Coco Hernandez, Lee Corretti as Bruno, Maureen Teffi as Doris, and the movie was actually composed by Michael Gore, who went on to win two Oscars for Best Original Score and Best Original Song. Now, the movie is mostly chronicling students at a high, perform- high school performance art school that basically shows them to take dance, acting, song, and it shows them as they progress and the issues that they deal with. So, so what did you think of the movie Fame? So... I was having a conversation with my wife earlier today when we were talking about the pod and I feel like fame is very, very much like the movie Scarface. Now hear me out. I am a white dude that lives in the suburbs. I do not relate to some of these things that these teenagers were going through at the time, you know, uh, socioeconomic, teen pregnancy i don't relate to any of the things that were like going on you know here but there is a group of people that relate to this movie just like they do brian de palma scarface i think scarface is a terribly overrated movie that's for another episode but this movie has a time and it has a place i don't think it had it has had the massive impact on pop culture, like some of other movies that are on our list. So I'm going to, I'm going to list this as a tier B teen movie. Yeah. I think the movie has uh, a lot going for it. I do agree with the diversity, actually the cultural background on fame. It's to be honest with you, most of the eighties, if we're being honest with our audience, most of the eighties movies that are pop culture references are usually considered white, have white actors and actresses. There's not many African-American or Latino characters in there. Or any characters of, of culture and, and honesty. Um, to me, Fame was actually, to, it was a good movie. It actually gave the hardships of uh, certain things that teens would go through. Um, you have a character that's fighting with his homosexuality. You have characters that are fighting with overbearing parents with their religion. You have characters that are fighting with, with addiction. Um, you have people basically being under the pressure of basically making it through this school and being a part of this established schooling that they're going to be recognized and the pressures that come along with it. You have people explaining about self-harm, things like that. The movie actually touches upon. 
I think it's a good movie. I'll say it's in the tier B as well because I think it was great for the time and it did show a lot of the issues, but I don't think it holds up today like it did back then. Would you agree with that? I think I think that's absolutely fair. And I think another like watermark or a test is would you remake? I mean, and I know they'll remake anything, but there's going to be people that won't touch a remake of The Breakfast Club or 16 Candles or Pretty in Pink. And this movie's been remade a couple times, I believe. Uh, it might have been like a made for TV thing, it might have been a, a bad sequel or what they call a requel. But I, I don't, I think that an elite movie won't be touched. I agree with that too, but fame is more of a Broadway play, I would think, in a musical. So I think it can be remade that way to do, uh, bring it to a more younger generation. Um, but yeah, speaking of the of the Pretty in Pink movie, I have something to tell you about one of the movies we have later on in the in the show. But I'll get to that when we get to it. But let's move on to our next movie. Ah, <laughs> aloha, Mister Han. And this one's a shout out to one of our partners. Mentors. Men- mentors, yes. Mr. Hand. Uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High in 1982. It was directed by Emmy Heckerling, which is kind of a ironic, well, kind of ironic and cool that a female actually directed a couple of these movies. Uh, she's known for a Look Who's Talking series, Clueless, of course, and she directed Night at the Roxbury. Uh, it was she also did... No, go ahead. I'm sorry, buddy. She also um, directed a 90s teen movie uh called loser with jason biggs and uh mina savari yes that's a great movie Uh, it is a great movie it also was the introduction to uh the song by weedis teenage dirtbag dan Aykroyd played his dad as well yep i I like that movie um but it was written by cameron crow who actually had a book called fast times at ridgemont high a true story where he actually went undercover at a claremont school in san diego as a 25-year-old, Cameron Crowe looks really young. He went on a 25-year-old, and he just pulled from his experiences and learning from other students these things that are featured in the movie. Uh, it has an all-star cast with Sean Penn Spicoli, Jennifer Jason Lee, Phoebe Katz, every boy's dream at the time, Judge Renholt, and uh, appearances by Nicolas Cage, Eric Stoltz, and Forrest Whitaker. So you have a few Oscar winners, actually, in this movie. It follows a ton of high school topics between dating, fitting in, heartbreak, you have the drug use, and you have the crazy teachers, Mr. Han. <laughs> um, the movie was ranked number two in the week, uh, Entertainment Weekly's top 50 best high school movies of all time. So, Swell, what do you give Fast Times at Ridgemont High? Fast Times at Ridgemont High, like, I'm not going to beat around the bush. Fast Times at Ridgemont High is absolutely a tier A elite teen movie. Um, it, you're right, it does, like, touch upon, you know, everything that you're going through relationships with your parents, abortion. Um, it, it doesn't, it doesn't like shy away from anything. It has some very iconic scenes with, you know, Phoebe Cates in the pool. Um, and then, you know, Sean Penn and Forrest Whitaker's little brother, like my brother's going to kill me. My brother's going to shit. Like, what is it? Is your brother going to shit or is he going to kill you? Um, first he's going to shit. Then he's going to kill me. Um, it's it's a fantastic movie. The soundtrack is absolute perfection. Um, I, I 
Yeah, this is an absolutely tier A elite team movie for me. Totally agree. Uh, the soundtrack is phenomenal. Also, the uh, cast is phenomenal. You ha- and then you have like little, uh, like little cameos by people. Um, the pizza guy, I forget his name escapes me. Tyler Nurgen, I think his name is. Uh, yeah, he shows up in there. You have, like I said, Eric Stoltz is in there. Nicholas Cage is a small character, but he's in there. Uh, Judge uh, Judge Reinhold is actually hilarious in the movie as Brad. It's just a lot of things that to the the things that touches on the whole film itself is just enjoyable to watch. The music and the soundtrack is, you know, lets you just get into the movie at the time. Also, this movie is so revered that one, it hasn't been remade. I mean, a TV show was made, but there hasn't been a remake of it. And it's still popular today. They're actually doing table reads where they're actually casting the characters at different spots. I think uh, Shia LaBeouf actually played a character. They were doing a live read for COVID and like lots of people are watching that. So that's now becoming a popular thing. We're doing live reads of the script. Um, Definitely a tier A in my book. Absolutely. Absolutely. Completely agree. Uh, Yeah. Like the, the way that a lot of the movie takes place in the mall it's just an elite, elite teen movie. I could watch it over and over again. Definitely, me too. I, I do watch it over a lot. <laughs> My wife's never seen it. She uh, disclosed that to me today. Oh, we might really? remedy. We we might remedy that tonight with some Freddy steak burgers and uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Nice, nice. Yeah, it's one of my wife's and mine's favorite movie. And let's move on to the next one. Hey, couldn't wait around for you to give me the key to your grandmother's house, could I? Meaning what? Meaning that I was the first one to get the Miss Thing over there. This is The Last American Virgin, released in 1982. It was written and directed by Boaz Davidson, starring Lawrence Monsono, Diane Franklin, and Steve Anton. Topics are basically include trying to score, dating, heartbreak, and drug use. Um, me personally, I can go first on this one. I'm not a huge fan of the movie. I think it kind of is a precursor to what we would think of as the American pie as they make a pack to score. It's kind of like that. It has a sad ending at the end, actually. Um, but it does have an awesome soundtrack with the cars, U2, Oingo Boingo, Devo, the police and Tommy two tone. For this movie, I'm actually going to give it in the tier C. What about I you, am. W- I'm with you completely. Like it's, it, it was probably a great movie at the time. It's completely forgettable to me. I know some people that might be a little bit older might be like, you're crazy. I just, I don't remember it much and it just doesn't have that appeal to me. So I'm going to agree with you and go tier C and I think we can kind of keep this one short and sweet. Yep. And let's move on to our next movie. Dickerson, you are not gone! Huh? You are just a typing teacher. All the Right Moves, released in 1983, directed by Michael Chapman, who is well known to have worked as a cinematographer on Taxi Driver, Raging Bull, Lost Boys, Scrooge, and Ghostbusters. I thought that was kind of cool. Uh, it's starring Tom, Tom Cruise as Steph, Craig T. Nelson as Nich- Nicholson, and Leah Thompson as Lisa. Basically, the most of the movie revolves around sports pressure for teens. Uh, blackballing by your coach. Uh, and I thought there was a real big hate on graffiti, which I thought was hilarious. And then basically wanted to get out of your town. 
want to get away from the life you have. It really reminds me a lot of Varsity Blues, but a younger, toned-down version of Varsity Blues. Uh, looking at a young Tom Cruise is kind of weird, too. And I, I, another thing, too, that I found weird was they gave him a real weird last name. I think it's like uh, Javoric. Like, he's supposed to be a family of immigrants. But it was just kind of strange that they gave him like a, such a, a weird lame. But I actually well, liked it. Go ahead. So he, this movie takes place in like, I don't want to call it rural, but like Steeltown, Pennsylvania. And they gave him a Polish last name because Pittsburgh has a massive Polish population. Thank you. Thank um, you. So that's, that's exactly what they're going for. I agree with the Varsity Blues Friday Night Lights comparison. Uh, to me, like just straight rankings, this is going to be a tier B movie uh, because I, I do remember it. I do enjoy it. I think the cast um, automatically makes it a tier B movie. You have 80s elite cast in there. You have Craig T. Nelson. You have Tom Cruise. And you have Leah Thompson. It has sports. It has teen relationships. It has parent relationships. Everybody relates to wanting to get out of your parents' house and not being there anymore. And um, it's football. It's like two of my favorite things. It's movies and it's football. It's uh, a tier B movie to me because it doesn't quite it doesn't quite move the scale of pop culture. Although they do reference it in, if you remember, what was one of my favorite movies in my top five last week, Scream, where. Um, Sorry, I'm having a um, I'm having a moment here. Sydney is talking to um, what's her name? I'm sorry, but she's like, I can stop by the video store. We can rent all the right moves. If you pause it just right, you can see Tom Cruise's penis. Oh, uh, what is her name? She dated Marilyn Manson. Why am I having? Oh, Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan. Rose McGowan. Yes. Um. But yeah, like they, they quote this movie in Scream. It's got everything that you like in it. It just doesn't quite reach the tier A echelon. Totally. How about you? Totally agree. I gave it a tier B as well. I actually liked the movie. Uh, I think it was great for a time. It just doesn't, you know, progress or transcend past the yes. 80s. Yes, um, absolutely. But yeah, but speaking of Tom Cruise, let's move on to our next one. Just with those piano keys, you can tell what it is. 1983's Risky Business. Written and directed by Paul Brickman, who also wrote Deal of the Century with Chevy Chase and True Crime with Clint Eastwood. Uh, the movie stars Tom Cruise as Joel, Rebecca De Mornay as Lana, Curse Armstrong as Miles, and Joel Pautiano as Guido. Uh, topics are basically struggles of what you want to do with your life after high school. Trying to find oneself. Uh, it draws a lot of comparisons to the graduate in certain ways. Um, and to like also like why because he wants to hook up with an older lady. Yes, that part and just the part of like finding yourself. <laughs> uh, it's also iconic due to the dancing uh, in the underwear with Bob Seger and the old uh, to old time rock and roll that's probably been parodied God knows how many times. And it was ranked number thirty two on Entertainment Weekly's top fifty best high school movies. Uh, personally, I really love Risky Business. 
Uh, it's automatic tier A for me because I still, still think it still holds up to today. And it kind of goes through the pressures of what you're going to do with your life as Tom Cruise's dad wants him to go to Yale or Princeton. He wants him to go to Princeton. Uh, it has some comedic thrown in, uh, comedy thrown in there when his uh, Robert Mole, his Princeton recruiter, comes and ends up sleeping at the brothel and then he gets into Princeton. But just the fact that, like, uh, it deals with a lot, like, what your parents want you to do with your life. And a lot of the movies that we're going to go through actually have that, where there's constant pressure from their parents telling them, what are you going to do with your life? And this one, it kind of fits in with Tom Cruise, uh, relating it to everybody. So I gave it a tier A. What do you think? Uh, to me, it's absolutely a tier A. It, it feels like, I know it's not because it wasn't written or directed or produced by John Hughes, but it was filmed in like suburban Chicago. And it feels like it fits in with those movies, even though it's not a part of that Brat Pack uh, like collect collection. Uh, I, I enjoy this movie a lot. I think um, Rebecca DeMornay is like smoking hot in this movie. Um, they, they get it on on the L. Yes. Also, uh, um, and Curtis Armstrong as Miles is pretty funny too. Booger. <laughs> Booger. So I think I think yeah, that's the key. Everybody knows knows him as Booger from Revenge of the Nerds. He's he plays the annoying friend that's like pestering him to like, you know, call this escort agency. It's it's a great movie. It's tier A easily. Definitely. Uh it's just a classic. Um and then Joe Pops. Say what you want. Oh, Joey Pants. Yeah. Say what you want about Tom Cruise and like the, the Scientology. But in the 80s, there was nobody that could touch this dude when it came to making movies. He just made good movie after good movie after good movie. I can't wait to see Top Gun Maverick because that's another character from the 80s that I absolutely love. Uh, You couldn't touch this dude in in that era. Well, even if you want to go into the 90s, and I mean, he went from doing teen movies to he did Few Good Men in the 90s. He did uh, The Firm. He, Jerry I mean, Maguire. Jerry Maguire. I mean, he's and then he's transcended into the mission, the more of the action movies with Mission Impossible, uh, the Jack Reacher series. I mean, he kind of evolves through his career. I think he's an excellent actor. Whether you, I, I absolutely agree with that. I wish that I could put the weird Scientology stuff aside when I'm judging his like body of work, but it's kind of hard because that thing is really weird. But I love, I like his movies. I, I won't apologize for how i like his movies and that's, i feel the same way um taking out his personal side out of it yeah he he his body of work is pretty good also in most of tom cruise's movies you will see him run in some form if i'm ever in a movie you will not see me run just so you guys know <laughs> me either all right let's go on to our next movie it's not a real voice. Uh, this box just interprets signals from the computer and turns them into sound. Shall we play a game? 1983's War Games, directed by John Badham. He's known for Saturday Night Fever, Short Circuit, and the Stakeout series. Uh, starring Matthew Broderick as Dave, Ali Chidi as Jennifer, Dabney Coleman as McKittrick, and John Wood as Falcon. Uh, the movie basically centers around a hacker who happens to go on the dark web with the quotation marks to play a game of chess and actually finds a server that is connected to the U S military Nord 
or the program they call it Whopper, which I thought was hilarious. They actually named it after Burger King. Um, and he basically he uses his computer to go in there thinking he's playing a game, but it's actually a missile firing system, defense system for the U.S. that is supposed to deter attacks. But he's going in as the Soviet Union, and the story progresses from there. This movie, personally, I thought well, it's a very good movie for a time. Um, it kind of shows like the nerd culture that was people have thought of the nerd culture. I think of the 1980s. You gotta remember, computers were still new. He uses a IMS AI. 8080 which was pretty expensive back then it was like 600 bucks and that's like 1600 dollars in 2022 uh he goes on the deep web which everybody is a hot term now but back then he goes on the servers that weren't there and it just cracks me up that he's actually going to play it he wants to play a game of chess or a game of cards and he finds nord on there and the whopper program which isn't hilarious um it gives us stereotypes to ha- hackers so it kind of shows that nerd culture that teens were going to. I personally think it's a tier B movie. It's great for the time, but it definitely doesn't transcend because one, the technology is old. And two, it, it's just, it's a movie that they thought was about hacking, <laughs> hacking and kids on their computers. One cool thing though, is the last part of that quote we heard, want to play a game, which we find out was used later in the Saw movies. What about you as well? So I, I I agree with the tier B ranking with you. I think we're pretty much we're in sync with a lot of these. Um, it also is another 80s movie where it just kind of perpetuated hatred between the United States and Soviet Union or Russia. And, and it's, uh, you know, just like Red Dawn and Rocky IV. Um, there's, so like it, it, was, it kind of plays into that. It's fun. It's goofy. Just like Scarface, it dates itself. The technology dates itself. The music dates itself. And I don't... I buy Matthew Broderick as a nerd. Like, I, I really do. It's, but it's still just a... No, go ahead. It's still just a tier B movie. It's just crazy. Every time I hear his voice, I only can think of one character. That's her. Story. I know. I know. And the I producers. love Matthew Broderick. <laughs> Producers is another great movie. But he, I mean... It is. <laughs> but... I like the original producers with Gene Wilder, but I mean, the remake was good and he did the Broadway for a long I'm, time. I'm just kidding. I know you were talking about Ferris Bueller, dude. No, but just like, he has like this, I don't know, just his voice. Like it's the first thing you think about, but yeah, I totally it agree. Is. Totally agree with you. It's a tier B movie. So let's move on to our next one. Get him a body bag! Yeah! And this one's near and dear to swole. If you listen to our last episode, you'll know why. The 1984 Karate Kid, directed by John Adelton, who did the Rocky series and Lean On Me, starring Pat Morita as Mr. Miyagi, Ralph Macchio as Daniel, William Zaka as Johnny Lawrence, Elizabeth Shue as Allie, and Martin Cove as Kreese. This movie dives into a lot of topics, being mostly centering around fitting in at new places when you move finding yourself, defending yourself, standing up for yourself. And this movie actually inspired a lot of people at the time to get into karate. It's ranked number 40 on Entertainment Weekly's top 50 best high school movies list. So give us your rundown of it. This is absolutely tier A elite 80s teen movie. Ralph Macchio is the karate kid. Every teenager tried to emulate the crane kick. 
when it came out. Elizabeth Shue is Elizabeth Shue and Leah Thompson were eighties heartthrobs. Like, and, and I, I know heart heartthrobs maybe for dudes, but they were just they were the actresses in eighties teen movies, Adventures in Babysitting, uh, Back to the Future. They they were it. And this movie deals with moving to a new place and fitting in and bullies and this weird relationship with an old man that you befriend. Um, this is my my all time favorite movie, easily. Um, I love this movie. It's absolutely tier A. I can watch it once a week. Totally, it's the best around. Totally agree. Tier A for me as well. Uh, this movie transcends through time, even though the sequels were not as great as the original, and sometimes that happens. But if you look at now, the biggest craze on Netflix is Cobra Kai, which is based off the Karate Kid. And just the transcending of being bullied, that still happens today. Going to someplace new, having to fit in, that still happens today. Finding confidence in yourself, that still happens today. People looking for mentors, single parent families, you know, kids who have are raised by their mom is looking for that father figure. Mr. Miyagi was Daniel's father figure. That still happens today. And it could be vice versa, a girl looking for a father figure. But it's just, it's just a classic, man. It just, I think it's probably, a, they claimed it to be one of the best sports movies of the 80s, believe it or not, from articles I was reading. And this is over Rocky, just because of the way it touched so many of the generation. And it really put off the boom to karate. So definitely a tier A. It's, it's fantastic. I, I love it immensely. I wish we could have a whole episode breaking down this movie in a rewatch. Maybe we will. But it's it's just perfect. Hmm. Well, let's go on to our next movie. Now I gotta cut loose, put loose, kick off 1984's Footloose, directed by Herbert Ross. He's mostly known for plays, but he did direct Steel Magnolias, if you've seen that movie, another 80s movie. Uh, written by Dean Pitchford, who's known for musical contributions on films such as Fame. Shrek 2, and the Lizzie McGuire movie. Uh, starring Kevin Bacon as Ren, Laurie Singer as Ariel, Diane West as Vi, John Lithgow as the Reverend Moore, and Sarah Jessica Parker, as well as Chris Penn. basis of the movie is basically rebellious nature of teens, how society finds things that are bad when they don't understand them, how bad experiences can lead to extreme consequences and measures, and overbearing parents. So take a shot at this one. Footloose is uh, a tier A movie for me. The just based on the uh, Kevin Bacon teaching uh, Chris Penn how to dance. The soundtrack is fantastic. The movie it, it's good. Like this this kid picks up and he moves from Chicago to this small town, and he doesn't fit in. You know he wears a skinny tie and a members only jacket to school when everybody else is in flannels and they have tractor races and they play chicken on the tractor and he gets a job at like this grain and feed department and he's just trying to fit in he pisses people off and all he wants to do is dance man that's all he wants to do i love footloose my family loves footloose this was a movie that that my aunt and my cousins would put on like and just watch again and again it probably wore out the vhs and the dvd it's absolutely tier A for me. It's one of those elite movies that just kind of 
sticks around. They've remade it a couple times. Or they made, they've remade it once, and I know they've like turned it into a play. And I've never seen the remake, but it it's just a great movie. Yeah, I totally agree. It's a great movie. Uh, I have in my notes tractor the tractor chicken that always stuck out to me about the movie that <laughs> let's update it's update chicken and do with tractors that just makes me laugh um but definitely touch on a lot of subjects like the subject of uh things that kind of scare people so if you don't understand them it scares them or something some bad experiences from them happen to you but not everybody else you want to just basically outlaw them and that's basically what happened with the movie uh the story of the movie the whole point of the movie is dancing is outlawed, but not just that also alcohol um, and late night activities. And that's outlawed because the Reverend's son was killed in a, by a drunk driver. Like there's a lot of influence on that, how, and then also the mob mentality, how things, they can get carried away when they start burning the books and then he realizes what's going on. Like I'm wrong. So it it's definitely a, a tier a movie for me. Uh, it touches on a lot of issues that, like I said, dealing with overbearing parents, religious parents. Uh, I know a lot of people who've dealt with that. Uh, overbearing parents, I've done a lot, a lot of people dealt with that. And it's the rebellious natures of teenagers. Like, they're not going to be the status quo. Uh, Lori Singer, who plays Ariel, her parents are too overbearing on her, so she rebels. Typical teens. I mean, even kids in general. My five-year-old rebels against everything. But, yeah, tier A movie for me. I uh, really loved it. I mean, I think you nailed that completely. I love it. Let's get into our next movie. Avenge me! Avenge me! This one is Red Dawn. In 1984, it was released, directed by Henry Dean That No, actually, it was co-written and directed by John Millis, who did an uncredited rewrites of Dirty Harry and Jaws. He wrote Apocalypse Now, Geronimo, Conan the Barbarian, and his co-writer Kevin McReynolds went on to direct uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Waterworld, and 187. The movie stars Patrick Swayze, Charlie Sheen, C. Thomas Howell, Leah Thompson, Jennifer Grey, and Powers Booth, as well as Henry Dean Stanton, who's actually the person screaming Avenge Me, and he actually appears in another teen movie that we're going to get to. Uh, the topics include the horrors of the American War from a high school perspective, uh, using teens in, in high school and the atrocities and the, the things of war just really opens up your eyes to the movie. The um, movie was based on actually Hitler's plan to invade the U.S. in World War II, so it was inspired on that, which I thought was very interesting. This movie, I kind of think, kind I kind of like, like this movie a lot. I, I'm, I'm going to give it a tier A, which might be surprising, but reason being is because Besides the storyline of Russia and the Soviet and Cuba invading the U.S., I think this movie kind of puts into perspective, when we watch war movies, most of the stuff, all the fighting is usually overseas in Europe. Those are stories that they're off land. But what if they come here? What's going to happen? You, as a, We're going to have to fend off ourselves. And I just think this movie kind of shows that. And it shows like the horrors of war. Like A lot of the main characters in this movie die. Spoiler alert, but I mean, if you haven't seen it in 30 years, sorry. But I think like that aspect really made it stand out to me. And I think it still holds up today. The remake, by the way, sucks. I would not recommend that. But this one, go check out the original. What do you think, Swell? I, I agree that the remake was awful. 
Uh, I am a little disappointed that you didn't use the Wolverines as the the sound clip. So I did so I have you, that. I think you. I think you really dropped the ball on that one, buddy. <laughs> I did have that one, but I could not get a good sound clip for it. No, that's okay. It was all crackly. I wanted to use that one because that's probably one of my favorite parts, too. I love this movie. I think it's great. I I think it dates itself, just like a lot of 80s teen movies date itself. I don't think it had the impact that other movies did. I'm going to go tier B for this movie. Ooh. Uh, but I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And a tier B, a tier B rating, in my opinion, is not a bad rating at all. It just some movies have more of an impact or like touch more people than the than the the others do. So it's a tier B movie for me. The cast is fantastic. Uh, Charlie Sheen and his varsity jacket and going to live in the mountains and. Uh, it's it's a great movie. The remake was terrible. You're right. I remember like I was so jacked for the remake, and I went with a bunch of friends for my birthday to see it, and I was like, oh okay. I'm like, I'm so glad I spent my birthday like doing this. Isn't Josh and, Peck in that uh, movie? Isn't Josh? I think he is. Yeah, okay. and and Chris Hemsworth. Yes. Yeah. It's bad. It's bad. It's bad. But it's a tier B for me, boss. Well, it's our first disagreement, but that's cool. I mean, yeah. It is like I said. These are all our opinions, so movies are going to affect each other. Each each of us also. And if if you disagree with any of these tiers, we want to hear it. So tweet at us at Yumper and Spo. Uh, we have our Instagram at Yump and Spo, and then also you can comment when the video's up at the Tainted Glove where we post the videos. Yep. And with that, let's get into our next movie. This is the single worst day of my entire life. 16 Candles, released in 1984. And listen to this. You're going to hear this name a lot from the rest of this review. Directed and written by John Hughes, who was known as the king of the 1980s teen movies. He also rest wrote, in peace. Though, yep, rest in peace, John Hughes. He also wrote Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, National Lapoon's Vacation and European Vacation, Dutch, which is a classic, Career Opportunities, oh. and he actually wrote Home Alone. The movie stars Raleigh Ringwald as Sam, Paul Dooley as Jim Baker, Michael Schufling as Jake Taylor, uh, Jake Ryan, Anthony Michael Tall as Farmer Ted or Ted. This movie basically revolves around struggles of being lost in a shuffle, uh, trying to impress friends, fitting in, and finding love. Uh, this movie was ranked number 49 on Entertainment Weekly's top 50 high school movies. I can start us off with this one as well. I really like 16 candles but i'm going to give this movie a tier b and the reason i'm going to give it tier b is because there are a lot of stereotypes in this movie that kind of don't transcend into where we are now i love the donger character but it's not it's kind of real stereotypical asian um the movie overall the story and whatnot i thought was very good i do think it touches on issues that teens deal with especially molly ringwald's issues with her family just kind of ignoring her and going for her older sister uh that her issues of trying to talk to the uh basically the senior of the school and her love interest i thought those things kind of thing uh are like relatable but just the stereotypical things kind of what kind of degraded it for me what do you think so i we're going to disagree again here i, I do want to touch upon some of the, the things that you just talked about this is a tier a movie for me it's it's absolutely elite. I do think that in this movie, and I've noticed it when I when I rewatch this, that they do they do 
say some things and do some things that I don't agree with. Uh, they use a lot of like uh, slurs that I'm not a huge fan of uh, that we don't promote at Yump and Slow at the show. We don't we don't promote those things. Uh, there's a word, a three letter word that you can't get away with and that I don't I don't like. They use a lot in this movie. Um, and then um, Long Duck Dong's like he, the portrayal of him is is pretty stereotypical. I don't want to. I don't want to brush that under the table as a, oh that was just the time that's just the way that things happened because that's not cool. But the movie itself, besides those things, I think it's fantastic. Uh, this girl, her sixteenth birthday is forgotten about because her sister is getting married that same weekend. It also takes place in suburban Chicago, just like a lot of the John Hughes movies. You know, you write what you know, right? Uh, Jake Ryan was hilarious. Like some of the the interactions in the in the high school and him doing the fake pull ups, uh, talk talking to his buddy about uh, Claire. No, not Claire. Claire's her Breakfast Club character. Uh, uh, her why name am is I Sam. Brain part? Sam. Sam. Samantha Baker. Yeah. Um, I, I I love this movie. It's absolutely tier A. But I I don't love the things that we talked about at the beginning. Yeah. That kind of wavered my experience of it. Also just the, like thinking of more transcending, like I think some of John Hughes, other films were a little bit more like cultural, pop culture changing. So that's why I kind of gave it a tier B. It's still a good movie. Like, but like with the stereotypical things we mentioned in there, the kind of for the time now looking at it, you're kind of like, uh, but yeah, I totally agree with you on the other aspects and points you made. And I think those things happen. They happen in a lot of teen movies, right? you're going to notice it when we do our nineties episode with, uh, you know, can't with can't hardly wait and American pie where some of those words and some of those slang is, is not cool. And in, in, in our book, I, I feel like I can speak for you on this. We don't approve of those slurs or anything like that. And it, it takes away, it diminishes a little bit from it, but you're going to find those in a lot of teen movies because some of these people try to write like how teens talk, but it doesn't make it right. Yeah. That's totally, totally well said. But let's move on to our next one. Didn't ask for a dime. Two dollars. Better Off Dead, released in 1985. It was directed and written by Savage Steve Holland, who's more known for TV stuff such as 100 Things to Do Before High School, A Fairly Odd Summer, and Zoe 101. It stars John Cusack as Lane, Amanda Witz as Beth and Curtis Armstrong as Charles, as well as Diane Franklin as Monique. The topics basically include Love Loss, a typical teen movie. Uh, one of the best parts of the movie, I think, is Curtis Armstrong characters Charles as he's like a huge drug addict in the movie and he, there's no drugs to be found in their town, so he's constantly uh, snoring things like Jello and whatnot. It's more of a comedic thing. Uh, another thing that stuck out stood out to me was the ski sword fight at the end of the movie when they fight with skis. This movie has a lot of uh, stuff surrounding skiing. Uh, that's the, like one of the big plot points of the movie is that John Cusack wants to be the captain of a ski team, which I think is pretty funny. Me personally, I gave this movie a B tier B. Uh, it's kind of good for the times. It's okay. Um, what do you think, Swell? 
it's a it's a tier B, like borderline tier C movie for me. It's good. It's got John Cusack. And also, if I'm not mistaken, it has chosen from the Karate Kid Part Two. Yes, in the he movie is in there, as well. He's in there as well, I believe. Yes. When when he pulls up in the car next to him. <laughs> yeah, I think it is him. Let me. Yeah, no, it's definitely him, and it freaked me out because in the Karate Kid Part Two, he has this 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 accent of someone that's Japanese, or or Chinese, um, or Okinawan, right? Because that's where that's where the Karate Kid Part Two takes place, um, and when he's in Better Off Dead, he speaks in a perfect English accent, and it, it always threw me off. I'm like, no way. Well, I mean, he's from Cali, <laughs> right? But it's like, but the first, the, my first introduction to him was the Karate Kid Part Two, mm-hmm. and then I saw this, and I was like, no way. It's like it's kind of like hearing someone that is British for the first time that you don't realize it. Yeah. Uh Tom but Holland. It, it, yeah, it's it's a tier B borderline tier C movie for me. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um and I love uh Chosen from Karate Kid. His uh his one liners in Karate Kid two were hilarious. But yeah, totally. And he's totally in agree. Cobra Kai. Yes. And he'll be a bit main character in the new upcoming season. He will be, yeah. But let's get to our next one. If you don't recognize this song, then how many teen movies did you really watch? The 1985 movie The Breakfast Club, written and directed by John Hughes, starring Emilio Estevez, Judd Nelson, Molly Ringwald, Ali Sheedy, Anthony Michael Hall, and Paul Gleason. Topics include dealing with abusive parents, overbearing parents, show being a social outcast, your parents not caring about you, overbearing authority figures in school, the pressures of performing in school athletics, not being able to think for oneself. Uh, this movie was ranked number one in Entertainment Weekly's top 50 best high school movies, and it's actually my favorite teen movie of the decade. So well, give us your thoughts. So it's not, it's not my favorite teen movie of the decade, but it's the best teen movie of the 80s. It, it, it's been copied. It's been quoted the the music is instantly recognizable the cast is fantastic i remember watching it on like wgn on like saturday nights and just being infatuated with it it's perfect it it's really the perfect 80s teen movie definitely uh totally agree with you tier a all the way deals with a lot of issues that are still ongoing today that were going on then. A really big fan of the Brat Pack. Uh, I would say that this is even, like, if there's a Tier A, this is above Tier A. Like, this is the gold standard for teen movies. Totally agree. That, this has, I didn't mean to cut you off there. No, I'm huh, sorry. That's all I love good. you. Please forgive me. <laughs> I love you too, as well. No, uh, totally agree. Gold standard. This is where you want to be as far as a team movie. This movie transcends time. Uh, this movie, uh, like you said, still parodied throughout. Like uh, not another team movie, a parody. Uh, just like little things from there. This movie draws like 
influence on pop culture and culture in general. There's been references to it in The Simpsons. There's a reference to it in other TV shows. Um, it's just awesome. I think it, it's John Hughes is probably his best teen movie film, in my opinion. But it just shows you, like, as far as the time and everything that can go past that, you know, into the 90s, 2000s, it just holds up to it and, and beyond. And they're actually doing a table read for this or a script read that's going to be released this year, I believe. I don't know if the original cast is doing it, but there have been things saying that it's going to be presented. Maybe it might be another video version like they did the one on YouTube. Uh, but I did find some things interesting about this movie, though. Uh, Alan Ruck, who we know as Cameron from Ferris Bueller, actually auditioned for Bender. And Emilio Estevez actually auditioned for Bender as well and was given the role of uh, Sporto. <laughs> but uh, I thought that was kind of interesting. Yeah, there's there's so many like fun like trivia facts like about this movie and like filming it in, you know, a local high school. It's a John Hughes Chicago movie. Molly Ringwald is awesome. Gorgeous. Like yeah. awesome, gorgeous. Like like Ali Sheedy takes out a print album and is like reading the, the cover during her lunch. It just has so many like funny scenes too, like uh when they do when Judd Nelson Judd Nelson was perfect in this role when he does the uh, reenactment of Brian's house Big Bry's house as he calls him and he does his parents talking to each other and his dad going fishing like, it's funny like the reenactment that scene you're talking about is hilarious and it's also heartbreaking at the same time when you look over at Anthony Michael Hall and, and Andrew Emilio Estevez rec- recognizes it and he's like okay well what about your house yeah, and it touches on the darker side of teens. Uh, Bender's family, he was abused, and you know, that kind of explains why Bender is the way Bender is. Uh, so it kind of touches on all the little social classes and experiences that teens can have in high school. So um, I thought it was really good. Uh, I found out doing research for this episode that actually uh, Judd Nelson said that there were talks to actually having a sequel. I know at the beginning, end of the movie, they say, and what's going to happen on Monday? Because they're in Saturday detention. Uh, but they never, you know, really talk about it, except when Claire says that they'll go back to their normal, you know, the normal interactions. But John Nelson actually said that he talked to John Hughes about doing a sequel, but that kind of never came to fruition. So it's something I don't want them to do a sequel to. I don't even want to remake. I think the uh, original holds, you know, its ground pretty well. I don't know if the the character interaction would be the same if you took it outside of the four walls of that library. That's kind of what made this movie unique was it all took place in one room in this library. And these four people were forced to have, you know, lunch and spend the day together that wouldn't normally like spend the day together. And if you took it outside of those four walls, it would change everything completely. You don't need a sequel to perfection. You don't. Totally agree. And I know it's I know it's forty something odd years later. Uh it, it just doesn't need to be done. Totally agree. Anthony Michael Hall is too busy killing Michael Myers right now. <laughs> or getting killed by Michael Myers. Or getting killed by Michael Myers. Evil dies tonight. God, I hate that movie. <laughs> oh my god. Um <laughs> your dick. Let's move on to the next movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
just kidding. Baby! Talk about it. I threw you a curveball there. You thought I was going to go with Hey You Guys, huh? I, oh, hey You Guys, or I thought you were going to play Cindy Lauper. Oh, I should have played Cindy Lauper. Um, but the, the 1985 <laughs> movie, The Goonies, which was directed by Richard Donner, who also directed The Toy, all the Lethal Weapon movies, Scrooge, Radio Flyer, Assassins, Maverick, and Conspiracy Theory. The screenplay was written by some guy named Christopher Columbus. Oh, and the story? It was created by some guy named Steven Spielberg. The movie stars Josh Brolin, Sean Astin, Corey Feldman, Jonathan Kiyu Kwan, Jeff Cohen as Chunk, Carrie Green as Andy, Martha Pimpleton as Steph, and Robert Devai as Jake Fratelli, Joey Pants as Francis Fratelli, and Anne Ramsey as Mama Fratelli. Uh, this movie, it, to me, is a legit Indiana Jones with kids. That's what I think about it a lot as. Um, they're saving their home. They're going through financial struggles, and all their friends come together to see if they can find treasure. Uh, this movie personally holds up to me till today. It's referenced again all over. Uh, has an all-star cast. Um, Anne Ramsey as Mama Fatelli is hilarious. She's in another hilarious movie, Throw Mama from the Train. Great actress. Uh, just tier A all the way for me. What do you think? Uh, well, yeah, I think it's absolutely tier A. I mean, I I tattooed Goonies Never Say Die on my arm uh, because Goonies Never Say Die, right? I think the cast is fantastic. I think that your description is spot on. It's Indiana Jones meets Home Alone. It's quoted in pop culture all the time. You know, one of my favorite bands, the Ataris, wrote a whole album and named it So Long Astoria after the Goonie stuff. Uh, it's just, it's a great movie, man. It's super fun. I always remember watching it on the Disney Channel back in the day, and they always showed the deleted scene with the octopus that's not in the theatrical version. So when I went back and I watched the theatrical version, I'm like, where the hell is the octopus? And you have to watch, like, the deleted scenes to get the octopus. They took it out for, like, time constraints. Yeah, that's it's why, super fun. That's why it's funny uh, at the end of the movie when they mention it. They're like, well, the octopus. And everybody's like, what? Yeah, the octopus. what the, octopus? And I remember when I was a kid, I'm like, wait, what are you talking about? I just thought they were lying. But then I saw that scene. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. So they stick the Walkman in his mouth, his beak. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, great movie, man. Uh, there's been talks of actually having a sequel to the Goonies as they're older. I don't know how that would work. I know most of the cast that they'd be down for, except Chunk, and I don't think you can have a movie, Goonie movie without Chunk. So I kind of like it to stay where it's at. Um, that's just my personal opinion. What do you think? I would agree. It doesn't need to be touched. It doesn't need to have a sequel. I'm surprised that like Jeff Cohen doesn't want to do a sequel. I thought it would be, I thought it would be someone else. Yeah, that, that didn't want to do the sequel. I thought it would be like. Uh, uh, what's his name? Josh. Josh Brolin. Yeah. Jeff- Josh Brolin. I think because Jeff- But what's funny is if you follow Josh Brolin on Instagram, like he seems like a very intense, serious guy, but like he's like the most down to earth, chill guy. Like I would, I would party with, with him. Definitely. Definitely. Cool guy. If I- Barbara Streisand was your stepmom, like it's a dude you would want to party with. I mean, his dad was in uh, that movie with Dana Carvey, uh, Master of Disguise. So, I mean, he's Master be- of Disguise. Yeah. <laughs> he's got to be a cool dude. Um. Yeah, I I think uh, Chunk just doesn't want to do it. I mean, he's an l- entertainment lawyer now, so I'm pretty sure maybe he's more caught up in work than he is acting. But yeah, yeah definitely. Come a on, classic don't, give me, don't give me that. Don't give me that bullshit. You make time to make the Goonies too if you're Chunk. Not saying they need to, but if you're Chunk, 
you want that payday. Yeah. I mean, if you go through, if you really want, it'd be kind of funny because he's super skinny now. He is. So, so it would be like kind of funny. You see him in the future, like, oh, chunk of skinny now. But yeah, I mean, like a skinny dude doing the truffle shuffle. If they're going to do it, they got to do it soon because they're not getting any younger. Now, nah, just leave it alone. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our next one. I was thinking of the immortal words of Socrates, who said, I drank what? Real Genius, released in 1985, directed by Martha Kudlich, who also directed Lost in Yonkers, Material Girls, and episodes of Psych, uh, starring Val Kimmer as Chris, Gabriel Jarrett as Mitch, Robert Prescott as Kent, and William Antherton as Professor Hathaway. Uh, Topics include fitting in, the pressures of not being normal, and trying to go through them in school, uh, the schooling atmosphere. Uh, this movie, I think, is okay. I, th- I thought it was pretty funny. There's a lot of funny parts to it. Uh, I can relate to certain aspects of when you don't fit in somewhere, how you're trying to be the best at what you do, and the pressures of uh, being, if you're the best at something, the pressures, especially as a teenager, uh, especially uh, Val Kimmer's character, Chris, actually like shows that a lot. By, that's why he's so carefree, is because if you don't enjoy your life or what you have, you know, there's no point of living, and that's pretty much his model. Just to enjoy what you have. Don't take, don't sweat the small stuff, basically. Uh, what do you think, Swell? So, Real Genius, I had never seen it be- before my cousin Mark introduced it to me. And the first time I saw it, I was blown away. I love Real Genius. I think it's severely underrated and it doesn't get talked about enough when it comes to like really great 80s movies. I think Val Kilmer is hilarious. I think the science aspect of this movie is hilarious. Like when they turn the, the dorms into an ice rink. Or yeah. the popcorn in the house with the laser that they're working on. Yes, that's part of the I I could watch I could watch Real Genius over and over again. And basically, William Atherton plays the same character in Real Genius that he does in Biodome with Pauly Shore. And was it Daniel Baldwin? Stephen Baldwin. Stephen Baldwin. Like he plays the same character in Biodome that he does in Real Genius. Just kind of a dick. <laughs> I, I love Real Genius. It's it's still tier B because it doesn't have like a massive impact on pop culture, and a lot of people don't remember it. But it's one of it's probably top ten for me. Yeah, you can consider it like a hidden gem. Yeah, it really shouldn't be a, a hidden gem. It should be, you know, when you think think of eighties movies, you think of like The Breakfast Club as teen movies. But it's something that needs to be put out there more, and people need to really look into it. I would recommend watching. I wish it. people, yeah, I wish more people knew about this. Yeah, definitely. Like, I would re- recommend watching this movie. It's it's really good. But yeah, I totally agree with Tier B. Let's move on to the next one. Give me a keg of beer. 1985's Teen Wolf, directed by Rod Daniel. He's known for Like Father, Like Son, The Super, Beethoven's Second, and Disney movies like Genius and Alley Cat Strike. It stars Michael J. Fox, James Hampton, Susan, Your City, Jerry Levin, and Mark Holt. Basically, this movie is just a movie about fitting in when you're different from people. That's what I kind of got from it. Uh, I really like this movie. It's hilarious to me. You have Francis from Pee Wee. He's always going to be known as Francis from Pee Wee Herman. Uh, Mark Holt as Chubby. Uh, the character of Styles is hilarious. This movie is a tier B for me. I think it was really good for the time, but doesn't really transcend to the future. Um, 
it didn't really have like a huge impact on pop culture. I also find the scenes with the basketball playing were very hilarious as they were kind of non-realistic. But it's just, yeah, it's totally it, like this is the epitome of what a good '80s movie would be, in my opinion. What do you think, Swell? I absolutely. It's it's. What did you say? Tier B. Yeah. It's it's tier B. It's a great movie. It's funny. It's goofy. Michael J. Fox was or is an icon. You know the basketball scenes are funny. The the party scenes are funny. Him surfing on the roof of the of the van. It's it's awesome. My dad probably hates this movie because I made him rent it a bunch of times. I even made him rent Teen Wolf Two with Jason Bateman a bunch of times, even though it's nowhere near as good. Has a good song in it though. What song are you referring to? Send me an angel by Real Life. It's in. Oh yeah, it's 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 a good. It's definitely a tier B, but I I love Teen Wolf. Yeah, so do I. I uh, definitely a tier B. Uh, there's certain like just styles to me is hilarious. How he's always trying to scam or you know run a side hustle. The, the coach from the basketball team is hilarious, especially when he gives him his three his three rules of never get less than 12 hours sleep, never uh, talk to a woman with a tattoo of a dagger, and never play poker with a guy whose <laughs> nickname is after a city. Like, just little things like that thrown in there are pretty funny. Uh, a fun trivia thing is that Michael J. Fox is actually working on this, and he actually was kind of bummed because he knew they were filming Back to the Future. And he really wanted to work on Back to the Future. And he thought, I'm doing a werewolf movie. And then, flash forward, he got in as Marty McFly when Eric Stoltz got fired. Eric Stoltz didn't work out. Yeah, they didn't like they didn't like Stoltz in that role. Yeah, and I just read an article saying that um, Christopher Lloyd was kind of like upset when that happened. He didn't know how it was going to work, especially for his character. And he felt bad for Eric Stoltz. But Eric Stoltz landed on his feet. I mean, absolutely, Eric Stoltz landed on his feet. We'll be talking about him. In a little bit here, I think. Yep. So let's move on to our next movie. So, what would you little maniacs like to do first? 1985's Weird Science, directed and written by John Hughes, starring Anthony Michael Hall as Gary Ian Michael Smith as Wyatt, Kelly LeBrock as Lisa, and Bill Paxson as Chet. A movie basically revolves around fitting in. It, to me, is Frankenstein with kids and a more, I guess, way of you creating the perfect girlfriend. So it uses computers and whatnot and a doll to create Kelly LeBrock, which I think is hilarious. And she is extremely hot in this movie. I think it's absolutely okay to say she's extremely <laughs> hot. Uh, this was our... Our fearless leader, KFID's favorite '80s movie. He loves this movie. I love this movie. I think it. I think there's. A, I think the the pinnacle of '80s movies or the trilogy. No, I'm sorry, Trinity. Trinity is Breakfast Club, Weird Science, Sixteen Candles. To me, that is the Trinity of elite '80s movies. This has got Robert Downey Jr. in it. This has. Anthony Michael Hall, Kelly LeBrock, uh, like it, it's funny, it's hilarious. These kids are goofy and weird. They learn how to talk to girls. They learn how to be confident in themselves. I just watched this the other night as research. 
like to kind of get caught up. I've seen it a million times. It just doesn't get old. They still, all these movies use some terms and some slurs that I don't love, but it it's just a funny ass movie. I love it. It's tier A for me, absolutely. Yeah, I totally give it a tier A. Uh, it just transcends. It still holds up to today. Um, besides yeah. like the stuff that some of the words they use. Um, but yeah, it still holds up to today. Actually, it's a very like John Hughes is a is a genius compared to how he like shapes his movies and like we're you you've heard his name mentioned at least four times already, and just this movie here, he went from instead of having it in a classroom setting now at a detention in a library, now we're talking about kids creating a damn woman from a computer program, and when their parents are gone for the weekend. Yeah, and the whole concept sounds crazy and sounds like a horrible movie, but when you watch the movie, it actually is pretty hilarious. So yeah, definitely a tier A. Um, I really like the movie, and like I said, I really, I really like Kelly LeBrock, even though she was married to uh, Steven Seagal <laughs> later in her life. Uh, she's also in uh, what was that movie she was in? Hard to is it Hard to Kill? She was in Hard to Kill with him, wasn't she? Hard to Kill, yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, was awesome he played? Did he played Nico. Was his name Nico in that movie? No, no, that was Above the Law. He was Nico. That was Above the Law. Yeah, that's like, they're watching movie. that in Step Brothers, right? <laughs> Yeah, when they break his arm, he's like, "Do now it!" Now you're gonna get it. Yeah. Like, do it, do it. They break his arm. That movie's so great too. Um, I remember seeing that movie at the the. I'm sure you remember this, but the Bel Air driving on Cicero Avenue. Yes, we went there a lot, with, dude. As kids, with yeah. my old man, I went. I went with my old man to see it. We saw it there at that drive-in. He probably doesn't remember, but I definitely remember seeing that at the drive-in with him. Yeah, we saw a lot, and then they, they played like older movies with newer ones. Like we, I used to go there with my uh, my mom and dad. They just take me and my brother. That that's like oh, I wish they uh, they still had a bunch of drive-ins because it's such a great experience. You gotta go out to you gotta go out to like I think there's one in McHenry and Woodstock. There used to be one right by my like not right by my house, but right down like North Avenue in uh, West Chicago. But that they just closed too. But the driving, the driving was dope. Yeah, it's an awesome experience. Um, but with that, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with our second half. You're listening to the Yumper and Svo at the Show podcast. Follow the guys on Twitter at Yumper and Svo, on Instagram at Yumper and Svo, and like and subscribe on YouTube at The Tainted Glove. All right, welcome back. And let's get into our next movie. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. 1986 Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It was written and directed by, surprise, surprise, John Hughes. Starring Matthew Broderick, Alan Ruck, Mia Sarah, Jennifer Grey, and Jeffrey Jones. With some appearances by Louis Anderson, R.I.P., and Charlie Sheen. Uh, topics are basically living your life, uh, releasing pressure, enjoying life, uh, not taking everything too seriously. Uh, basically, to me, this is a tier A for me. Uh, still holds up to today. Uh, it's a totally, totally 80s teen movie. Uh, the thing, the reason why I think it holds up to me so much is because it's based in Chicago and he goes to Wrigley Field on the Mount You Hate It. That's an awesome part to me. Uh, the Art Institute. Uh, just little things like little tidbits they threw in from Chicago when he's Abe Froman, the Sausage King of Chicago. Just little things like that. Uh, Ferris's thing is to have 
a carefree attitude. Don't let the pressures of life do too much to you. And I love that he is the yin to um, Cameron's yang as they're totally opposites, but they connect. And it just shows like the stress of Cameron's parents that put on him of overbearing, not even overbearing, more to ignore him and him putting pressures on himself and Ferris just being carefree and saying you gotta live life like it is. So I give it a tier A. What about you as well? It's absolutely tier A. I think the only beef I've ever had with this movie is Cameron wears a flipping Detroit Red Wings jersey um, and lives in suburban Chicago throughout the movie. It drives me crazy. I was gro- I was brought up to hate the Red Wings, to hate the Packers. I, I, I hate that he wears a Gordie Howe jersey throughout this movie. That's my only beef with the movie. I don't care about Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field's iconic, right? Like, as much as I hate it, like, it's iconic. He goes to Wrigley Field. He watches a Cubs game. Harry Carey's on the screen. You know, the White mm-hmm. Sox announcer. Um, but the stupid Detroit Red Wings jersey drives me crazy. It always has and always will. But I love it. I love Charlie Sheen and the leather vest and the uh, police department. I love the Ferris playing the goofy sounds on the keyboard and he learns to like hack into the computer school system, if you will. So just like maybe that translated for more games. Maybe he learned to get into the school's computer system from what he learned in more games. Maybe, maybe it's a multiverse thing, right? Could be. Um, Ferris Bueller is absolutely elite tier a. Uh, Yeah. What else can I say? Yeah, just it's such a classic movie. I like I can watch Serious Bueller like all the time. Uh this movie was ranked number 10 on Entertainment Weekly's top 50 best high school movies and actually Cameron's role was offered to Emilio Estevez at the time and he turned it down. And Alan Rook has gone on record saying that he went up to him and thanked him like enormously because this kind of got his career going off, which I the think Mighty is Duck Man himself. Yeah. Emilio! <laughs> I love that movie. Um, but yeah, this is just a, a classic. And they, I mean, they made Super Bowl commercials after this movie where he takes another day off <laughs> from work. <laughs> so it's, it's, per- it's, it's perfect. It's a perfect movie. Yeah. Except with- for the damn Red Wings jersey. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and also they have the beat them dance to the Beatles in the middle of the parade. Uh, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just funny. Let's uh let's move on to our next movie. Rhoda Lucas! Rhoda Lucas! The 1986's Lucas, written and directed by David Seltzer, who's known for writing The Omen, My Giant, and he did an actually uncredited rewrite of Willy Wonka. Uh, it stars Corey Haim as Lucas, Charlie Sheen as Cappy, Carrie Green as Maggie, and Winona Ryder as Rena. Um, the talks in here really deal with a lot of bullying in high school, fitting in, and hiding who you really are. Um, this movie, to me, is, well, I thought, it's an okay movie. I give, It's kind of like that tier B, tier C kind of area for me personally. Um, I thought I had a decent message that bullying is wrong, stuff like that. Stuff that, you know, the kind of outsiders go through in high school as a teen. And he was bullied enormously. I do like the ending, how he's actually uh, accepted by everybody. But there was just certain parts of the movie that I was just like, what? Like, especially when he, he gets hurt at the football play, how the ball's in the air for so long for him to have time to take off his helmet and move left to right 
then catch the ball and drop it, which I thought was amazingly hilarious. Um, but yeah, it doesn't really stand out past the A's in my opinion. So I gave it a tier B. I would say it's it's probably a tier C movie for me. It, it it's okay, it's cool. Like him collecting bugs at the beginning of the movie, and like it it's goofy. It's tier it's tier C. No one cares about this movie though. Okay. No one, you know, no one. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, I, I'll give it a tier C. That I can I can uh, change my answer to tier C. I was trying to be nice because <laughs> the Corys, I mean, but yeah, it's not, it's not really that good. <laughs> it's a tier C movie. And yeah. We can be honest with each other. Yeah, definitely a tier C. Um, yeah, let's move on to our next one. If you put out signals that you don't want to belong, people are going to make sure that you don't. That's a beautiful theory. 1986 is Pretty in Pink, directed by Howard Deutsch, who also directed the Great Outdoors, Some Kind of Wonderful, and The Replacements. The movie was written by, surprise, surprise, John Hughes. And it stars Molly Ringwald as Andy, Harry Dean Stanton as Jack, you might remember him from our Avenge Me comment earlier, and John Cryer as Ducky, along with Andrew McCarthy as Blaine, and Annie Potts as Iona, who we may know from the Ghostbusters series as Janine. Uh, Topics are fitting in. This actually shows a lot of the social economic issues between the uh, wealthier students and the lower class students or the students that don't have that much money uh, putting yourself out there. And this movie doesn't just go into putting yourself out there for the teenager aspect. It actually goes into the adult aspect as well as uh, Andy's dad is struggling to put himself out there after he was left by his wife. So it kind of goes between an adult and child, adult and teen kind of experiences and uh, afraid of telling others how you feel with John Cryer you know, as Ducky is falls in love with Andy and he's kind of scared to tell her he loves her. This movie to me, um, definitely tier A still transcends. Uh, I thought it was perfect in every way as terms of the way is John Hughes is fission. Um, what do you think? Well, yeah, it's absolutely tier A. Once again, Molly Ringwald and her, uh, trilogy of eighties teen movies, uh, pretty in pink, 16 candles, Breakfast Club, um, John Cryer as Ducky is kind of iconic. Andrew McCarthy is Blaine, but I think the standout for me is always going to be James Spader as uh, Steph. He's just kind of the ultimate 80s dick in this movie. Um, he, you know, he makes uh, Andy feel bad. Andy feel bad about herself. Uh, her clothes, where she lives. She, he talks down to her. He stops in the record store. She works in a cool record store with Annie Potts. And I think this movie takes place uh, based on like the like the intro and the news radio at the beginning. Like I think it takes place in like Elgin, like so suburban Chicago. I Definitely can't... suburban Chicago, but like there's mention of Elgin at the beginning when you're listening when when she's listening to the news on the radio in the morning weird i know that i listen to that but like no no that's a good uh, yeah that's a good uh it is based in chicago it doesn't say exactly which city it could be right Glen- they never give it could be glencoe they never gave it away well then again i don't know because john hughes like he, he all his movies are based somewhere in illinois but he usually like he had glencoe i think for uh risky uh risky business was based in glencoe but like most of them are based yeah. in like suburbs of illinois so, I don't know. 
But yeah, it is based in the suburb of Chicago. This movie, in particular, it's a great movie. It's a fun movie. It, it still, it still holds up. People still go back to it. They still use some language in there that is kind of cringe at certain points, but I love it. Yeah, I like it a lot too. Uh, my mom actually loves this movie a lot. One of her favorite parts is actually uh, Ducky when he comes into uh, Otis's um, a little try a little tenderness. When he yep. comes and dance and sings to it, uh, and part is hilarious. Uh, some... And then sets off the alarm. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> also, one thing that just for John Hughes movies, they have awesome soundtracks. They uh, do. We know. Uh, Don't forget about me from Simple Minds in Breakfast Club. This movie is "If You Leave" by uh, Soundtrack Orchestra, Maneuvers in the Dark. Another classic sound. Like the, these movies have perfect soundtracks that go along with them. One thing I did find very interesting was doing research for this movie was that the original ending was actually uh, Andy was supposed to end up with Ducky. And the studio pushed back on that a lot. And John Hughes, which we'll find out, used it for another movie. But he uh, really didn't like that. And when the original ending was going to happen, Molly Ringwald actually pushed really, really hard for Robert Downey Jr. to be Ducky. But Wait, when- did... John Hughes pushed back and used it on another movie, you said. Yes. Can I guess what movie he used that on? Yes. Did he use that at the end of Some Kind of Wonderful? Yes. Yeah. That's totally why, like, uh, he totally switched around. He did his own ending in that movie. Um, But yeah, for this one, she really wanted Robert Downey Jr. to play the role of Ducky, but when the endings were reversed and... John Hughes pushed for John Cryer. She's like, oh, yeah, it's fine. We can do John Cryer. And I think, personally, I think nobody could be Ducky besides John Cryer. I think he played I the role agree. extraordinarily. Um, I love Robert Downey as an actor, but I don't think he could, you know, as my brother would say, lace John Cryer's boots for this role. Um, well, in the 80s, Robert Downey Jr. was kind of like, like, in weird science, he was kind of a dick. Yeah, I mean, but he, he, he had a big range of roles. I mean, he was always kind of like a weird character. Like, he was in... um. Uh, back to school. He played like an outcast in that yeah. movie as Derek. I mean, he's an exceptional actor. I just don't think he could have done like a, a ducky though. Like, I don't think I just think that John Cryer was perfect. There's like roles that are perfect for people and I think John Cryer was perfect for ducky. I, I mean, I completely agree with you. Let's move on to our next movie. I'll make it very clear. You slip me the cash and I'll slip you the wiener. But I don't have any cash. Then I don't have a wiener. 1987's Adventures in Babysitting, directed by Christopher Columbus, who we talked about earlier. He's also directed Harry Potter, Home Alone. He wrote Gremlins and Goonies, uh, written by David Simpkins, who's known for The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr., Bruce Campbell vehicle, and Dark Angel series. Uh, It stars Elizabeth Shue as Chris, Keith Coogan as Brad, Penelope Ann Miller as Brenda, Vince Sonorfio as Dawson, and Ron Cannon as Graydon. Um, basically, the title is what the movie is. It's a, basically a night of babysitting that goes haywire. It involves uh, love from teen romance in it. All the struggles and whatnot of a dangerous city in Chicago, which I thought were hilarious. Uh, it's just a complete adventure movie. Personally, I give it a tier A. I think it still holds up pretty well. Um, I really like this movie. There's a lot of funny scenes in it, and a little bit shoe is like was awesome in it. What do you think, Swell? 
So I recently watched this with the wife just to get caught up for this episode. And watching it, it feels like a like a low tier B, almost tier C mm. movie to me. Like I don't hate it and I like it. I think it's fun, but it's not like the other movies where it takes place in Chicago. It does, but they filmed a lot most of it in Toronto. And that annoys the hell out of me. <laughs> um Especially it's of fun. Belief, I like so. it. I know, I know. I like it. It's goofy, fun. I would say it's a tier B. It doesn't quite reach tier C level. It just doesn't hold up for me as well as I thought it would. My goodness, I really like this movie. Another reason why I like it too is probably because uh, Keith Coogan's in there and he's in one of my other favorite teen movies. Which is, and, uh, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. <laughs> yeah, it's Kenny and it just makes me laugh every time I see him. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it's like a top tier tier A, but I think it's like borderline tier A for me. So I'm going to stick with my tier A. I like it, man. Hey, that's what the great thing about these discussions are is that we can disagree on this and still talk about it amicably. It's like almost the complete opposite of White Sox Twitter. Where if you don't agree <laughs> with me, then screw you. Not just right? the, not just White Sox Twitter, Cubs Twitter the same way. Cubs Twitter too. I don't know. I stay away from that. But <laughs> God forbid we bring up Yoan Moncada, right? Yeah, same uh, same thing with Chris Bryant, man. <laughs> but let's get into our next movie. Ronald Miller. Pay me 1000 bucks to pretend I liked him. What a deal, huh? 1987's Can't Buy Me Love, directed by Stephen Rash, who also directed The Buddy Holly Story and My Wife and Myself's, one of our favorite movies, Son-in-Law. Uh, it stars Patrick Dempsey as Ronald and Amanda Peterson as Cindy. The movie basically is, shows topics of fitting in, uh, doing what it takes to fit in, even though extreme measures, uh, also being true to yourself. And this movie was actually remade in 2003 with Nick Cannon and Christina Milan. Uh, Fart it, noise. Yeah, it was bad. Uh, this movie, I think uh, it's kind of like, kind of like tier B for me. Uh, it isn't horrible. It isn't great, but I think it's good for a time. It does have like a decent message of just stay to your, true to yourself. It does show some teen aspects of teen struggles anyway, of, I can't uh, fit in. You know, what do I have to do to fit in? But uh, Ronald kind of becomes an asshole in this movie when he gets popular. So I guess it also shows a lesson that, you know, just be true to yourself is the most important thing. What do you think, Swell? I, I, I would definitely agree it's a tier B movie. I love it. I think it's super fun. It's also the first time that I think I ever saw Seth Green. He plays uh, Ronald's little brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I enjoy this movie a lot. It reminds me of like uh, my aunt. My aunt loved this movie a lot, and she would watch it constantly. I, I, yeah, it's it's pretty straightforward. It's it's a tier B movie. Yeah, and then it has Patrick Dempsey who went on to become Doctor McDreamy. Yeah, fart noise. <laughs> All right, let's get into our next one. No, I didn't know Jen's lived in a hen house. Did you know that? Jeez. Must be a house because I don't see nothing but chicken shit. It's one of your favorites, Well, 1987 Some Kind of Wonderful, directed by Howard Deutsch, written by John Hughes, starring Eric Stoltz as Keith, Mary Stewart Madison as Watts, Leah Thompson as Amanda, and Craig Sheffer as Hardy. Uh, also has Elias Costas as a bully in the movie, which is he's pretty hilarious. Um, what's his name, Swell? Wilbur, uh, Wilbur, for, yeah, or something like that. 
he's hilarious though um to me this movie i thought was very good i think this is what uh john hughes had envisioned for pretty in pink as i mentioned earlier it's a lot of similarities but it's mostly it has a guy's perspective to it um i wouldn't put it in a tier a like pretty in pink like you did i think it's a tier b movie to me but i think it's very good what about you so so as you know and, and twitter knows this is my favorite 80s team movie I once again I remember watching it on WGN when there was no cable, so I kind of became infatuated with this movie. I love it. I think Leah Thompson is fantastic, smoking hot eighties like icon. Eric Stoltz is great. I think that uh, what's his uh, Craig? Sorry, uh, Craig Schiffer, Hardy. Craig Schiffer as, as Hardy Hardy Dean. Yeah. I think he's like he's a perfect '80s dirt ball. The party scene at the end, where uh, they like you know you said uh, Elias uh, is a bully, but he actually turns out to be like friends with Eric Stoltz at the end of the movie. They like kind of bond in detention and become friends. It, I think it's a fantastic movie. It's my favorite '80s movie. It's not elite. Yeah, I thought it was very good. Like, um, but it's just not. It's a very, it's a very high tier B. It's not elite, but it's my favorite watch. Yeah, and actually, uh, just looking up while you were talking, Elias Custis his name, and they have him as skinhead. That's not his name in the movie. They actually, he, I think something with a W, Wilbur or something like that. Um, it's it's funny. I do like like there, you can see the similarities in uh, Pretty in Pink with this movie. Um, but John Hughes, this movie actually was a turning point in John Hughes' career and actually Molly Ringwald's career. Molly Ringwald was actually offered a role in this movie and she turned it down and John Hughes was very hurt by that and they never worked together again because of that. Um, also, like we were talking about earlier with uh, Pretty in Pink, this is the original ending that John Hughes wanted for his movie. So I think that's kind of interesting. And the fact that the director, Howard Deutsch, actually marries leah thompson this is where they first met and fell in love really yeah so i thought that was kind of cool no that's super fun i i love this movie it's it's a tier b movie for me though it doesn't have the impact that the others do but it's it's my favorite to watch absolutely yeah it's a very good movie i watched it yesterday just to do a refresh of it um but yeah it's it's enjoyable um and watts uh can beat somebody's ass dude she's awesome and she plays the drums yes which is even more awesome. But uh, let's move on to our next movie. I wanted to be a member of the most powerful clique in school. If I wasn't already the head of it, I'd want the same thing. Heather's 1988 released, directed by Michael Leaman, who also directed Hudson Hawk, Airheads, 40 Days and 40 Nights. It was written by Daniel Waters, who's known for writing Hudson Hawk. Batman Returns, and Demolition Man, the classic right there. Starring Christian Slater as JD and Winona Ryder as Veronica. This movie to me is, for one, it's a black comedy, so it's not meant to be taken completely serious. It's about being popular. Um, it really dives into, dives into a lot of teen issues, uh, their looks on homosexuality, um, the looks on suicides, uh, basically being bullied. You know, fitting in again is a big, big point of the movie. I like this movie. To me, it I don't know if it holds up. I can see it in it inspiring movies in the future, 
it kind of reminded me of an older Mean Girls with less violence. Um, that's the kind of feels I was getting from the movie. So I would give it a tier B for me. Um, what about you, Swell? Yeah, it's a tier B for me too. If I, you know, I, I should love this movie because it's dark and it's it's weird. And, and Winona Ryder is awesome. Christian Slater is awesome. It, but it's still just a tier B movie for me. That's all. It's pretty straightforward. Yeah, it's a, it's just like it's a surprising of the time because of the the issues that it tackles. But it's kind of crazy. I mean, like it's legit when you look up black comedy. This is legit. It. But yeah, it's a it's definitely tier B. But let's uh, move on to our next movie. It's the last game of the season. You could maybe get in for a couple minutes. You want to play? Yes, please. No, you don't. Johnny Be Good, 1988, it was released and directed by Bud Smith in his only directing role. He's more known for being an editor of movies such as Exorcist, Flashdance, The Karate Kid, and Darkman. Uh, this star is actually Anthony Michael Hall as Johnny Walker, Robert Downey Jr. as Leo, Paul Gleason as Wayne Hissler, and Uma Thurman as Georgia. Um, this movie it basically centers around the pressures of being a teen athlete and having to choose where to go to college if you're a very good teen athlete and the pressures of your coaches and parents and family. Uh, why don't you run with this one as well? So I haven't watched this movie in a long time, and I rewatched it recently for this episode, and it's pretty terrible. Like, it's not good. I don't buy Paul Gleason as a football coach. I don't buy Anthony Michael Hall as the star athlete on the football team. It's a tier C movie for me. Yeah, I totally agree. It's not really that good. Um, <laughs> this is Anthony Michael Hall before Anthony Michael Hall decided he was going to work out. Uh, yeah. So, like, uh, when I think of Anthony Michael Hall buff, I think of, like, the Dead Zone, the series of Dead Zone that was on USA. Uh, this movie, it's just kind of weird seeing him as a Evil guy. dies tonight? <laughs> no. He's not even buff in that movie. He's, like, fat. <laughs> but, yeah. I, th- I think that's going to be... I think that's going to be our running joke throughout our podcast is how many times can I work in a Halloween kills quote, evil dies tonight when we're referring to like bully mentality or Anthony Michael Hall. I want to, I want to make that an Easter egg in every single episode. God, it's so bad. Like, <laughs> yeah, definitely a tier C in this movie. Like um, it's tier C it's bad. It's not good. Yeah. Which is kind of surprising because you had some good people to work with. I know Uma Thurman hated working on this movie. Uh, well, looking at the poster that you have up here for our, our viewers at home, Uma Thurman's really hot in this picture. <laughs> like, yeah, but... I've never seen Uma Thurman look so seductively at the camera before. She's pissed off because she's in this movie. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's go into our next one. God giveth, and the DMV taketh away. You mustn't fuck with the Department of Motor Vehicles, Mr. Anderson. License to Drive, released in 1988 and directed by Greg Beeman, who is known for Mom and Dad Save the World and Bushwhack. Uh, it was written by Neil Token, who wrote Richie Rich and Jury Duty, a classic from Holly Shore, uh, starring Corey Haim as Les, Corey Feldman as Dean, and Heather Graham as Mercedes. So you had to get the Corys in here at least once. Um, Main topic is getting your license and how important it is to a teen. And that pretty much is realistic how 
when we got our license, we thought we were the shit. Uh, this movie to me, it's it's a tier B to me, maybe tier C, kind of borderlines. Uh, it's not really great and it's not really bad. I'm gonna go with tier C, <laughs> but I'm I'm gonna also go with tier C. The only thing that I like about this movie is Uncle Phil from the Fresh Prince of Bel Air is in it. Yes, I was gonna uh, use his plays- quote for the intro, <laughs> but uh, he's like, "You didn't spill my cup, Anderson." <laughs> <laughs> and the funny it's thing, a, about- it's it's go ahead. It's not good. No, no, it's, it's not, not good. good. Uh, funny it's thing like about Uncle Soul Phil Man. is uh, he did the voice for Shredder. And the Ninja Turtles. So every time I hear his voice, I automatically think of Shredder. I don't think of Uncle Phil, but it just cracks me up that he did Shredder. Yeah. It's tier C. It's pretty bad. Definitely, definitely. All right, let's move on to our next one. Hey, Kimo, you proud of me? I'm the first dude here. What's Calculus? 1988 Stand and Deliver, written and directed by Ramon Menendez, known for Money for Nothing, Gotta Kick It Up, and Tortilla Soup, uh, starring Edward James Olmos as Jaime Escalante, Lou Diamond Phillips as Angel, Rosana De Soto as Fabiola, and Andy Garcia as Ramirez. Uh, this movie includes a lot of things dealing with more of a minority class. It's one of the few movies actually from the 80s that deals with the cultural background of a minority. Uh, dealing with racial identity, uh, showing it really pushes that showing a hard work pays off and how the system can sometimes be against you just for your color of your skin or ethnicity. Um, never take the easy way out is what Jaime Escalante always promotes. And that math is a language of the world. Uh, this movie to me, I it might be personal. Like I really like this movie. I think it still holds up to today. I actually met Jaime Escalante several times when I was at U of I. He came to do some lectures down there. Uh, very brilliant man. Um, dude came from Colombia, all his degrees were actually washed out. So he actually went back to school here and got all his doctorates here, his math degrees, which I thought was amazing. Um, yeah, just a really impactful movie to me. It deals with the, I'm from the South side of Chicago, live in the back of the yard. So a lot of the aspects of having to go through dangerous neighborhoods, having dangerous areas at school that was there growing up. And the character of Angel Hernandez actually shows that how he wants to get out of that and become something better. Um, to me, I give it a tier A. What do you think, Swell? So once again, I'm just a white dude from the, that lives in the suburbs, but I get it. And I love that this gave some people a voice that didn't necessarily have it before. I love Lou Diamond Phillips. I, I, I can't tell you how much I love Lou Diamond Phillips. Uh, La Bamba is my favorite music biopic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think this movie is fantastic. I, I don't know if I relate to it enough to give it a tier A. It's a very high tier B for me, but it's a fantastic movie. Yeah, definitely. And uh, Rosana De Soto, who plays Jaime Escalante's wife, is actually Richie's mom in La Bamba. So yeah. there's a connection there. Yeah, um, it just relates to me a lot. I know it relates to a lot of people. And actually, it's still shown in uh, math classes as inspiration. I love that. So, um, But yeah, just great movie. Andy Garcia is in there. Uh, and his interaction with, with James or James Olmos is hilarious. When he what tells was him, the quote that you that you you said about math like a minute uh, ago? Um, math is a language of the world. Uh, that's it's one... funny because they use mm-hmm. um, they use a similar quote in um, Boys in the Hood, which I think we we will probably talk about on our mm-hmm. '90s teen movie episode. But uh, Furious Style says, 
he's talking about the ACT and the SAT, and he's like, most of those tests are culturally biased. Math is the only universal language. That's yeah. like a verbatim quote from Boys in the Hood. And it's just, it's funny that it, it ties yeah, into this. It's something that Jaime Escalante pushed. And he actually says in the movie, uh, when you go for a job, they're going to look at you not because, they're going to judge you on the color of your skin, your ethnicity, not on your character. And math is the great equalizer. So he pushes that. And Garfield School, uh, high school, which is where this movie takes place in Los Angeles, was not really a well uh, known academic school until Jaime Escalante actually took over the calculus department and the math department. Um, then this movie actually explains why when their scores were so high, all his students passed the uh, uh, exam, the AP exam, they were investigated because they weren't matched. Their scores were even higher than schools in Beverly Hills. And he felt it was discrimination, which it probably was. But it's just, uh, it's a tremendous story because even after this movie takes place, like his numbers doubled and tripled to a number of students that actually passed the exam, which I thought was pretty crazy. Great movie. Yeah, great movie. Uh, also, Edward James almost got nominated for an Oscar for this movie, so I mean, it, it was probably, it's probably his best role. But uh, let's go into the next movie. Bill, my friend. Yes, Ted, my friend. This has been a most excellent adventure. 1989's Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, directed by Stephen Herrick. Uh, Tita, don't tell mom the babysitter's dead. Mighty Ducks. Three Musketeers, Mr. Holland's Office, and styling Keanu Reeves as Ted, Alex Winter as Bill, and George Carlin as Rufus. Uh, topics are basically making ed- education in a fun way in high school. Take it away, Swell. What do you think? I love Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. I love the sequel. And the third one was whatever. I think this is a fun movie. Uh, San Dimas High Football Rules. But it's a it's a tier B movie for me. It's not elite. It doesn't stand out like those other ones do. But it's it's still a fantastic, fun, absolutely eighties teen movie. George Carlin was amazing in this movie. Yeah, totally. As Rufus, uh, totally tier B for me. Uh, the characters I think are more important than the than the message I was trying to send uh, as far as teen movies because they yeah. were so loved that they actually recreated Bill and Ted um, face the music for the third one. Which is not a great movie, but it's not horrible either. You just want to see what no. the characters are doing with their lives. But yeah, I like this one. I love Bogus Journey, um, especially the Grim Reaper in that movie is hilarious. As uh, William Sadler. Uh, but yeah. yeah, this movie is a strong tier B for me. It's not nothing special, but it's okay. Let's go into our next movie. Now when you're destroying your brain cells, you're doing the same thing as killing yourself. You're just doing a slower. Now, I say, if you want to kill yourself, don't fuck around with it. Go on and do it expeditiously. 1989's Lean On Me, by, directed by John G. Advitson, who was known for the Rocky movies, uh, starring Morgan Freeman as Joe Louis Clark and Robert Gounier as Dr. Napier. Um, topics in this movie are drug use, challenging yourself, and coming from bad situations. Uh, this movie, unfortunately, was made right after... Uh, stand deliver. Uh, I think this movie does do a little bit more better of presenting the more bigger issues of the actual high school as a whole. Um, I don't think it holds up as great as stand deliver would, but again, this is more dealing with issues as a whole than it is as a separate class with terms of math. Uh, this movie gets a tier B for me. What do you think? Well, yeah, I think it's, it, 
it came out at an unfortunate time. You know, like I said, pretty similar. Like you said, pretty similar time. Tony Todd's in it. Candyman's in it. I guess yes. he plays the security guard. Mm-hmm. It's a good movie, but it's definitely tier B. I love Morgan Freeman. I love, you know, just like Dangerous Minds. Like a lot of these movies, kind of just get lumped in in my head. Yeah. Um, obviously, Stand and Deliver had like a little bit more emotional impact for you, which I think is super cool. But a lot of these movies just kind of like get lumped in together to me. If I'm being honest. Yeah, I, I mean, I could I could see that. Um, and Morgan Freeman is a great actor. I think he did a great job as a. Uh, uh, joe lewis clark i just think that it's kind of this movie was like i said it was just too it just came right after stand and deliver so it's going to be compared constantly compared to it and not saying it's yeah. like 10 years on it actually came like a year later so yeah it's just to me that's why it's a tier b but with that let's uh let's move on to our next movie she gave me a pen came my heart and she gave me a Say Anything from 1989, written and directed by Cameron Crowe, starring John Cusick as Lloyd, Diane Court as Lone Sky. And I only uh, Sky I, I only as Sky. Diane Court, yeah. Yeah, I put Lone for something, put an L in there for some reason. Um, topics are being good to one another, uh, parent pressures, um, the automatic scene of In Your Eyes on the Boombox by Peter Gabriel. It's probably been parody God knows how many times in movies. Uh, a movie basically about love. Uh, Cameron Crowe is kind of like, I think Cameron Crowe is very good at expressing how teenagers feel, especially since he was around them a lot doing his undercover work. He's very good at a writer at that. I think this movie, to me, this movie is a tier A for me. I think it transcends a lot. Um, it really just deals mostly with heartbreak and not knowing what to do with your life and what you do when your first love dumps you. Um, that's just my opinion. What do you think, Swell? I think you nailed it. Like the the boombox scene is iconic with Peter Gabriel. It's been copied multiple times in music videos and Family Guy and anywhere that can will do it. Lloyd Dobler was the dude that everybody kind of wanted to to be like. He had the Clash T-shirt. He had the long jacket. He took kickboxing. He was edgy. Diane Court was like the popular valedictorian. Uh, Fraser's dad was her dad. Yeah. Um, I love we call him Fraser's dad. <laughs> he'll always be Fraser's dad. He's been in a hundred things, but he'll always be Fraser's dad. Definitely. I love I loved Cameron Crowe movies. I love Almost Famous. I love Say Anything. I even freaking like Vanilla Sky. I like Cameron Crowe movies. This is absolutely tier A for me. Uh, the soundtrack's good. Yeah, I think I, I Eric Stoltz is in this movie too, isn't he? I think so. Yeah, he plays the he he throws the party where um, Lloyd is the designated driver. Yes, yes, I believe he is in there. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I love seeing anything. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a it's a classic to me, and like like we were saying, it's been when something is parodied so much and puts that influence on pop culture, like. It has to be a tier, in my opinion. Like this movie is parody a lot. Just like the the boombox scene is something that you see everywhere. Like you see it in cartoons they had everywhere. Family Guy, for God's sakes. Yeah, I, I really like this movie, and I think Cameron Crowe, is, like I said earlier, he really understands the feeling of a teenager. I think he did does a great job in his work. Uh, this and Fast Times are probably you know two of his best works, and almost famous as well. I agree. All right, let's move on to our next one. 
1989's Uncle Buck, written and directed by John Hughes, starring John, some guy named John Hughes, I don't know, starring John Candy as Uncle Buck, Amy Magdalene as Shanice, Macaulay Culkin as Miles, Jean Louise Kelly as Tia. Movie is an adventure movie in terms of an uncle that comes to live with a family that he really isn't close with, his brother's family, while they go, uh, while somebody's sick, right? Somebody's had a heart attack or something, what? Yeah, I think her father has a heart attack in Indianapolis. Yeah, so he comes down and... from Chicago to to take care of his his uh, nieces and nephews. Uh, basic, the main point of this movie is teens rebelling. Uh, Tia is very rebellious. Uh, has great little aspects of comedy with John Candy with tons of things. His his interactions with Macaulay Culkin when he gives him the four, uh, you know, the fifth degree of like, what's this? What's this? What's this? What's this? And dude's like, what? Like he gives him all the answers of uh, you know, the qu- lines of questions, the pizza through a damn uh, mail slot, yep, the uh, giant pancakes, the punching of the clown, uh, bug the boyfriend, John Candy's like annoying laugh. The <laughs> that you ever hear of a tune-up? <laughs> yeah, ever the... hear of a ritual killing? <laughs> like it's just to me, it's a classic. Uh, my wife's uncle, they call him, his name's Bill, but we call him UB for Uncle Buck. Uh, I give it a tier A. This is uh, probably John Hughes, one of John Hughes' last great movies. Uh, what do you think, Spall? It is an absolute tier A movie for me. It's, it's, it's almost weird because I don't know if I necessarily consider it a teen movie. Yes, there's a teenager in it, but it's a John Hughes movie, and it can be considered whatever the hell it wants to be. Uh, John Candy is fantastic. Uh, he wakes up in the middle of the night and he uses the clapper and he turns on the lights at Wrigley Field. <laughs> yes, um, it's it's awesome. I love it. I love how he's like, I want you to take this quarter and go downtown and have a rat gnaw that thing <laughs> off your face. Yeah. It's quotable. It's funny. It's it's like heartwarming at the end. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I probably rented this movie a hundred times from the the video store, and my dad probably hates it, but I love this movie. It's just to me, I think John Candy was lost way, way, way too soon. Just such a great way talent. too soon. Um, way too soon. Like just the writing, it just shows you the uh, the the range of John Hughes. Yeah, I guess he's known for teen movies. This mostly does have a teen aspect to it with the rebellious uh, niece, but just like he went from to a more family movie and this is like yeah that realm as well um i mean it's a to me it's, well playing strange and automobiles too like wasn't a teen movie like mm-hmm. he transitioned he grew up he didn't want to write just teen dialogue and he grew up and this is this and playing strange and automobiles kind of shows exactly like that yeah totally um i would love to do a deep dive on john hughes from the online for the episode that'd be there's so much to well, go into him you and i'll talk absolutely <laughs> All right, so that actually is the end of the movie list we had, but we do have some questions, as Swell had mentioned earlier. There's particular movies in the 80s that, are they really considered a teen movie? Now, we won't have to rank these, but we're going to go through a couple of them, and let us know at Yumper and Swole on Twitter and tell us what you think. So the first one we're going to start off with is... Well, I'm Mrs. Voorhees. An old friend of the Christie's. 1980s Friday the 13th. Directed by Sean Cunningham and starring Kevin Bacon as Jack, Betsy Palmer as Mrs. Voorhees, 
Adrian King as Alice. Uh, this movie is a horror movie. Not really a stereotypical teen movie, but it has teens in it. And I think to me personally, it should be considered a teen movie because it started like the real Halloween set the standard. This movie took Halloween and went a little bit above and beyond with the gore on that. And I think it's uh, something that's still going on today with the teens, teen movies as this movie is being remade with sequels and sequels and sequels. Like, what do you think, Swell? No, this is not a teen movie. This is a horror movie. The horror movie label takes precedent over the teen movie. This is an absolute horror movie. But they can't be merged. They can't be like, there's like horror no. comedies. There's horror teen movies. I'm sorry. There's oh. a line in the sand. This is a horror movie. Oh my goodness. No, nah, I think it's a teen movie. But a horror movie <laughs> with teen aspects, dude. The counselors, man. You gotta look up the counselors. All right, let's go to our next one. Oh, man. That seducer and despoiler must be stopped. He's extremely dangerous. 1981's Porky's, directed by Bob Clark, starring Dan Monahan as Pee Wee, Nancy Parson as the Ball Burger, and Kim Cattrall as Miss Lassie. Uh, this movie was set in 1954, so it's not your typical teens movie. This movie, personally, um, I think it's, a, if we had to go grade it, it'd be a tier C. Uh, it's just very raunchy. Uh, I, there's some funny parts in it, but most of the comedy is kind of like, it doesn't really transcend good. What do you think, uh, Swell? I would agree. I also wouldn't consider it an 80s teen movie. Like, it would be tier C. It's funny. It's got some moments. It's... I'd, I'd rather watch American Pie. I'm not gonna... I'm not yeah, gonna lie. I think that... I think American Pie is what this movie should have been. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think I think it took a, like three tries with the Porky sequels to get American Pie. Um, but yeah, I agree. I'm not a big fan of Porky's. And with that, we'll move on to our next one. Stay gold, pony boy. Stay gold. 1983's The Outsiders, uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, based off the book by S.C. Hinton, starring an all-star cast of C. Thomas Howell. Matt Dillon, Ralph Macchio, Patrick Swayze, Rob Lowe, Diane Lane, Emilio Estevez, Tom Cruise, and Leif Garrett. Uh, the movie is based in 1965, which is, means, is it an 80s teen movie? I don't know if it's an 80s teen movie, but it's definitely a teen movie in my opinion. What do you think, Swell? I would, I would agree with the way you just phrased that perfectly. It's not an 80s teen movie, but it's a teen movie, and it's a fantastic teen movie. This would have been, if it was on the list, a tier A. It's a great movie. I love every single thing about it. I just bought the director's cut where it kind of it kind of stays a little bit more truer to the book. It's it's perfect. It's perfect. I remember my dad never paid for movie channels when we had cable, but for some reason we got Encore for free. And it was on Encore all the time and I discovered this movie that way and it's I love every single I love every single thing about this movie. This would have been a tier easy tier A for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's it's a classic. Uh, the book is very good. Uh, I've read, written the read the book for high school. I've read it on my free time. Uh, and now I have a question for mm-hmm. you. The book is good. I love the book. Do you like The Outsiders, Tex, or Rumblefish more in terms of the book? I like Rumblefish better. I loved Rumblefish as well. Wow. Um, and I liked the, I actually liked Rumblefish the movie. I just like Rumblefish the book better. 
that they say the book is the book you. is better than the movies most of the time. That's the reason because there's a lot of things in a, in a book. There's a lot more um, building in a book you have to do than a movie, and it would take forever to do in a movie. But yeah, I like the text better, uh, and I like Rumblefish. But the movie is very good, and the, the cast it has is that's like all star, like superstar cast. You have well, Matt Dillon's been in all three of them, right? He was in Tex, he was yeah. in Rumblefish, and he was mm-hmm. in The Outsiders. Yeah, Matt Dillon, Dillon was like the mainstay of those. But even you have uh, Emilio Estevez in this movie, Ralph Macchio. Like this is like eighties galore. Patrick Swayze, it really is Rob Lowe, like you, a young Tom Cruise, like this movie to me, and I, I, I really like it. I think Ralph Macchio played Johnny very good. Like, um, he it was a perfect role for him. See Thomas Howell, I think this is probably his best role. You know, uh, Soul Man was a close, uh, you know, tenth, but <laughs> I agree. But uh, yeah, he uh, this is probably oh, his Soul best Man role. was awful. Uh, we <laughs> had we had a conversation about that. Soul Man was awful. Oh, it's a horrible movie. I just think it's hilarious <laughs> that like. They thought it was okay to make that movie. Uh, and you see Thomas Hull actually signed down for it, which totally ruined his career. But yeah, this is a definite classic. So let's, uh, let's move on to the next one. Welcome to my world. 1984's Nightmare on Elm Street, directed by the late, great Wes Craven, also written by him, starring John Saxon as the, as the dad Don, Heather Langenkamp as Nancy, Johnny Depp as Glenn, and Robert Unglund as Freddy. Now, if we're going by Swole's rules, this is a horror movie, so it's not a teen movie. Uh, the reason I wanted to put it on there is because teen and high school is actually a big aspect of this movie. So, if I have to go by what I said earlier, I think it's a teen movie. <laughs> go ahead, Swole. No, absolutely not. This is a horror movie. This is an iconic horror movie. If we're ranking horror movies, this is like on the Mount Rushmore of horror movies. This is a horror movie, not a teen movie. I'm sorry, man. I don't make the rules. <laughs> I just go by them. Yes, yes. Um, it's it's the gold standard, I think, of of horror movies. Like, I would say, you know, yeah, it's the gold standard. Wes Craven is just awesome. Uh, yeah, there's not really much more you can say about that. And I think you know, down the line, we'll probably do a deep dive into these movies eventually. All right, let's go on to the next one. Welcome to Fright Night for real. 1985's Fright Night, written and directed by Tom Holland, who's also known for other great movies such as Child's Play and Thinner, uh, starring Spider-Man. Yes, Spider-Man as well. Uh, Starring Chris Sarandon as Jerry, William Ragsdale as Charlie, Amanda Bierce as Amy, Roddy McDowell as Peter Vincent, and uh, Stefan Jeffries as Evil Ed. This movie, to be honest, I just will, like, if I really want to go, like, this movie had a lot of teen uh, aspects to it of a teen movie. I think this one kind of blurs the line a little bit more, even though it's more considered a horror movie. It does have a lot of like teen issues with Charlie not being able to fit in, Evil Ed especially not being able to fit in, um, issues uh, finding love. You know, it just I think it's more of a Dracula thrown in in a teen uh, teens, which it kind of is. Uh, so I think this one to me was more. If I had to really choose between Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the Thirteenth, this would probably be my standard for teen mo- horror movie as a teen movie. What do you think? I'm going to completely agree with you on this one. Like if we're going to lump any of these in as a teen movie, it's going to be this. Uh, the, the issues that you talked about, it, it, this is the one that I would consider a teen movie and not a horror movie, even though it's like on that same fringe as uh, idle hands where, you know, it could, it could be both, but yeah, we'll, I'm going to go teen movie on this one. Cool. Yeah. We finally agree on one. Now. <laughs> 
All right, let's go into our uh, our next one. I bet you anything that if we find them, we'll get our pictures in the paper. Yeah, yeah, we can even be on TV. Sure, we'll be heroes. Yeah. 1986's Stand By Me, directed by Rob Reiner, who is also known for directing A Few Good Men and several other movies. And this movie is based on a story, The Body, by Stephen King. It stars Will Wheaton as Gordy, River Phoenix as Chris, Corey Feldman as Teddy DeChamp, Jerry O'Connell as Vern, and Kiefer Sullivan as Ace. Uh, this movie was actually based in the 1950s, and I'm going to throw the same thing I did for The Outsiders. Uh, this movie, to me, is a tier A movie. If we had to go, if we had to judge it, I think it is totally a teens movie. It's just a, not a 1980s teens movie. What do you think, Spall? Once again, we're like we're totally in sync on this. This is an absolute elite teen movie. The cast is fantastic. What was Will Wheaton's character's name again? Um. Gordy. Gordy. Oh, who, who, who played Gordy? Will Wheaton. Gordy. Will, Will Wheaton? Wheaton. Sorry, you got to say it like Stewie. Wheaton. Um, Will, Will Wheaton. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. I love Kiefer Sutherland in it. He's such a dick in this movie. Definitely. Uh, John Cusack's also in this movie. Yes, he plays... Uh... He plays Gordy's older brother mm-hmm. who passes away. I love I love this movie immensely. It's just a a fun, weird trip with your friends and how you grow apart. It would have mm-hmm. been like a tier A elite movie, but it's not an eighties teen movie. Just a teen movie. Yeah, and uh, Stephen King actually loved this rendition of his story so much. He told uh, Rob Reiner it was probably the best at the time, the best rendition of his work he's ever seen. Um, yeah, and he uses character like Ace is actually. I don't know if you read King, but Ace is a pro. He shows up in yeah. other works, yeah, right? Yeah, he shows up in uh, Needful Things. Um, yep. And they talk about Teddy the Champ, and they talk about Vern in that book. Uh, but yeah, just like, I just love his use of characters. Another, like, an all-star cast, you know, Corey Feldman. It, it's Corey Feldman of the 80s is really uh, underrated in the way he acts. Like, he, I think he's a very good actor for his age then. There's a a weird, like, I don't know. For a kid that was just what fourteen or fifteen when this movie was made, maybe even younger, Corey Feldman has this relationship with his dad that you could tell that like it hurts him, and he he's worried about his dad, but he also doesn't want to be treated like shit. It's really good, and River Phoenix just went way too early. Definitely, yeah. This is a this is a basically a perfect movie. Yeah, it's got comedy. It's got uh, you know a lot of serious drama in it. And it touches upon a lot of aspects of, you know, kids that kids deal with today. Uh, like you said, Teddy the Champ had an abusive father, but that's still his dad. Like, here's a part yeah. where he gets into it with the junk man, the, with Choppy. <laughs> he with calls the him cho- a loony. Yeah, the calls loony. him a loony, and he goes fucking ape shit. Like, it just shows, like, you know, it really relates to a lot of pe- things people can be going through. And that's why I think it would be a teen, teen movie. But um, let's go on to the next one. Just give me a second. You're a father and I'm a son. Your son, I'm sleeping. Yeah. Get out. I'll call the police. 1987's Less Than Zero. It's directed by Merrick Konevitska, based off the book by Brett Easton Ellis, and it stars Andrew McCarthy as Clay, Jamie Gertz as Blair, and Robert Downey Jr. as Julian. Uh, this movie, I don't know, it, I would consider it a teen movie personally because it has a lot of aspects of what teens were going through and 
real life situations, even though the characters are coming back from their first year in college, they do, like you said earlier, Swell, when we were talking off uh, off mic, that it does start with them graduating. Uh, it really shows like the aspects of pressures from family, what happens when you're addicted to things. I think Robert Downey Jr. really shows his acting chops in this movie, playing Julian as he becomes an addict and something that he even struggled with life. Like he was actually an addict during this movie. He really like relates to the character. It shows how, you know, your family can basically disown you and his friends are actually the ones that take, end up taking care of him. Uh, yeah, this movie I think would be, should, would be a teen movie in my opinion. What do you think so? Yeah, I would agree. Like it, it, it starts off with the kids are teenagers. And even sometimes when you come back home from your first year of school, you're still 18 or 19. I, it's a great movie. Brett, I've read almost every book that Brett Easton Ellis has written. That dude's got some issues, man. Like, he wrote American Psycho. He wrote Less Than Zero. He wrote a bunch of movies that got turned, or a bunch of books that got turned into movies. He's done a lot of cocaine, is, is my guess. Is he has done some cocaine. But uh, this movie, I, I'd never even heard of before. And once again, it was. I think everybody's got that older cousin that turns them on the movies. And it's for me, it was my cousin, Mark. It was like, hey, check this movie out. If you like these movies, you're going to dig this. Uh, and I I absolutely love this movie. Robert Downey Jr. as Julian, like, is just, it's perfect. Yeah, so, like, and then just, like, the struggles he was going through at this time, like, it's a perfect role for him. And Robert Downey Jr., maybe now he's more known for... Uh, his Avenger as Avenger roles as Tony Stark, but Robert Downey Jr.'s got acting chops. Like he's really like he went out from this to Duke can act. I mean, didn't he didn't he get an Oscar nom for Chaplin? Yes, Charlie Chaplin. He got and that's when he was like at the peak of his struggles. Like yeah. he has a very r- big range of an actor. I mean he did the the judge with uh my uh, Tom Tom from um Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall. I couldn't think of his name, but you Robert know what Duvall. I meant. He did that that well, movie's very good. Didn't he do the judge between Iron Man and Iron Man 2? Yes. And the, and the the thing is about him, when they were actually uh, casting for Iron Man, they did not want Robert Downey Jr. They thought he wouldn't be a, a, a good actor for it because of his... Oh, John Favreau had to fight yeah, for that. Yeah, John Favreau fought for him because his range as an actor. And he, like, now that you look at it, could there be anybody else that could play Tony Stark? No. Like, he portrayed that, portrayed that character perfectly. Uh, he's he's a to me he's he's very un, he's very underrated and even like the more controversial roles he's take uh tropic thunder like his role in there like he played it as serious as he possibly could and it was then it was a comedy like he got nominated for an oscar for that movie <laughs> like he has no, a I completely agree. As, a, as an actor the dude can act and the judge the judge was fantastic like that movie killed me a little bit that movie was sad definitely like yeah it's a tear tearjerker um but yeah he just doesn't. I don't think he just gets the, doesn't get the respect that he deserves. And, and then I I agree with you. But uh, let's move on to I the next one. My little brother, a goddamn shit sucking vampire. Will you wait till mom finds out, buddy? Nineteen eighty seven's The Lost Boys, directed by Joel Schumacher, who's known for Saint Elmo's Fire, which is another great movie, but that's more based with college kids. Flatliners, falling down, and Swole's favorite Batman forever, or Batman. He put Robert. nipples on the bat suit. <laughs> uh, it stars Jason Patrick as Michael, Jamie Gertz as Star, Corey Feldman as Edgar Frog, Corey Haim as Sam, Diane West as Lucy, Edward Herman as Max, 
uh, Kiefer Sullivan as David, and we cannot forget that Bill makes an appearance in this as Marco from Bill and Ted. Um, Alex Winter. Yeah, great actor. <laughs> He's hilarious. But um, this movie, I think, it's not, it's not a teen movie. To me, it's not. It's more of a horror it's, movie. It's more of a horror movie. It's it's an iconic horror movie. Definitely iconic. Like, um, great music, music soundtrack, especially uh, with the guy with the uh, shirtless uh, saxophone playing. Sexy sax guy, man. Yeah. yeah, that that guy's awesome. You know, he's on cameo. Yeah, like you can hire that guy. <laughs> if I get into the 108 tourney, I might hire the Damn sexy it, sax guy. That's what I was gonna do. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, um, but yeah, he uh, he is awesome. Like, uh, the, the that guy's awesome. But the movie is just awesome. This is like a coming of age horror for teens. Uh, Absolutely. It's perfect. I remember my, my, my older cousin that I've mentioned a bunch of times and his brothers got to go see this movie and I was still too young to go see it. And I was pissed. So I had to go see, I'm almost pretty sure I had to go see who framed Roger rabbit instead with my old man. And they went to go see the lost boys and I was pissed. And then I finally got, I saw this movie and it's, it's one of my favorite movies of all time. I love this movie. Yeah. And the Frog Brothers, the Frog like Brothers, the Boardwalk. They made sequels to this movie. Uh, the Tribe, the Lost Tribe. That one wasn't that good. I, the Thirst was okay for what it was. I think that's probably the next better one in Lost yeah. Boys. There's only one. Yeah. There's only one Lost Boys movie. But none, of, none of those are canon, my friend. I'm sorry. It was all right. I mean, there's nothing better than the original. Nothing's going to top the original. But yeah, this movie no had everything from style to, you know, cool teens to. St- Jamie Gertz, who was absolutely beautiful in this movie. Um, yeah. Yeah, comedy, everything in it. So, but it's a horror movie. And let's go on to our last movie to discuss. I stand upon my desk to remind myself that we must constantly look at things in a different way. Dead Poet Society, released in 1989. It was directed by Peter Weir, who also directed The Truman Show, Green Card, Witness, and Master and Commander. Uh, it was written by Tom Schulman, who also wrote Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and What About Bob? Uh, it stars Robin Williams as John Keaton, Robert Sean Leonard as Neil Perry, Norman Lloyd as Headmaster Nolan. Again, this movie takes place in the 1950s. Uh, this movie would be an A's teen movie if it wasn't in the 50s. So it is a teen movie, just not an A's teen movie. Movie was nominated for uh, numerous Oscars. It sends a great message. Like we were talking about with Stand and Deliver, how uh, math is the language of the world. Robert uh, William, Robin Williams actually pushes in this movie that uh, poetry can be a language of the world. And it follows about expressing yourself and being individualist and following your dreams and pursuing passions. It's got everything from in there for dealing with stress, being pressured by your parents. Uh, there's actually a, a sad end uh, ending to the movie, so I really like this movie. Um, what about you, Paul? I love this movie. It's one of my, it's not one of my favorites, um, like all time, but it's a fantastic movie. It's very rewatchable. I miss Robin Williams so much. Like he was just fantastic in everything he did. It's definitely a teen movie. It's just not an '80s teen movie. Yeah, Robin Williams, another person that was gone too soon, and. Like talking about ranges of of actors, Robin Williams is known for mostly for comedy, but 
Dead Poet Society comes out to you. Goodwill Hunting comes out. Goodwill Hunting. Good Lord, Goodwill Hunting. Eight second photo. Uh, what's the eight second photo or something like that? We played the oh uh, one hour photo. One hour photo. Extremely well ranged as an actor. Disturbing. Absolutely yeah. disturbing. He's phenomenal talent, and he is going to be missed. Um, but that actually wraps up our eighties teen bonanza. <laughs> Uh, let us know if you think those movies were actually teens movies. If you agree with me as well. Let us know what your ratings of the other movies are. Uh, check us out at Yumper and Swole on Twitter and at Instagram, Yumper and Swole, and at Tang Love on YouTube. Swole, you got any closing remarks? Yeah, I think that uh, last night I came home. It was my uh, first day at my new store, and all I wanted to do was watch a movie and not think about anything else just because it was a lot you know i i dealt with a lot of people and i I deal with a lot of people every day and i watched american underdog a kurt warner story and i did that so you don't have to because it was bad classic it was bad i thought it was going to be a football movie and maybe even if it was bad it was still going to be good it turned out to be a jesus movie I could have told you that, dude. I knew it was going to happen, but I was, wasn't was ready for it. And it turned out to be a Jesus movie and a faith-based movie. If you don't have to, avoid it at all costs. But I will watch those movies. So you, my friends, don't have to watch those movies. And with that, I can't wait to see you guys next time. Uh, follow us on Twitter. Let us know what you're watching. We want to know what you're watching. We want to know what we should watch. Because we don't, we can't watch and see everything, or or we might miss some things, and that's really all I got to say. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. We record every two weeks, and thanks for listening. Yeah, I echo what's supposed to let us know what you guys feel about everything. Uh, thank you so much for listening. I know this is a little more beefier episode. If you like this, let us know, and we're always open to hearing everything from our uh, listeners and whatnot. Uh, but um, yeah, with that, you guys have a great day, night morning whatever you guys listening to this and we'll catch you later peace out thank you for listening to yumper and svo at the show podcast a tan and glove production that's it i'm getting out of here